welcome to the Beach and Black Podcast, an award-winning, unofficial podcast on Prince. For over 10 years, giving you Prince news, reviews, trivia, and all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the host, Rob S. I think the craziest thing that's happened is when Prince invited me and Captain to meet with him in New York in 2010. Captain. Anytime Prince gets on the guitar and he starts getting up near that top fret, just get ready to blow your head off. Player. Oh my God, that's the Minneapolis sound right there. Toe Jam. There's just layers and layers of stuff going on in his music all the time in every speaker. Find Peach and Black on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. This is Tony Young. Hi, this is Larry Graham. This is Mr. Hayes. And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast, baby. Now over to our host, Rob S. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peach and Black podcast. We are all gathered here today for another podcast episode, and today is a special one. It's a big one. We're talking originals. What are we talking about? Originals. Yeah, that's right. This is the first posthumous standalone album of previously unreleased material by Prince and really the one that at least a lot of people seem to be most excited by before it came out. And I think it's fair to say that there's still a huge level of excitement after its release as well. So we're going to go into all sorts of goodies and weird and wonderful things as we always do. Uh, including our famous, infamous track-by-track album review. We're about to get into it, and uh, this one is going to go for a while, I feel. So sit back, relax. What What do you reckon? About 20 minutes, so I'm going to have dinner after this. I'm hungry. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You really should have eaten before this, maybe even had a drink or two. It's going to take a while, I think, like I said. And um, I have to admit, we are all super excited to talk about this one. Let's introduce the panel, as always, from left to right. Player. Come and play with my uh, affection. <laughs> <laughs> Toe Jam. Working an easy money occupation. <laughs> and Captain. I'm not bullshitting. <laughs> Very good. And I don't normally do this, but I will just for this special one because I feel like I-, I owe it to Kenny or something. I don't know. It's Rob S. in the place to be. And <laughs> I love you, baby. Love you, baby. Love you, love you, love you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you do oh, to me. <laughs> oh, once in a lifetime. Okay. All right. Let's. <laughs> There's a little- there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I think I might have given away a bit of a clue for what I'm going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, same. <laughs> uh, you've read my notes. <laughs> no, 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 we never share notes. That's what makes some of this, uh, a lot of this exciting. All right. <laughs> All four of us in front of these microphones about to go in on this super exciting, super special Prince unreleased material uh, album release. It is, of course, the one, the only originals. Originally released on the 7th of June, if you're a title subscriber, and why wouldn't you be considering they're giving you three free months? But if you waited for whatever reason, for the CD or for the digital on another streaming service, or possibly waiting till July for the vinyl, regardless, we're about to talk about this, I guess, seminal release over three years after Prince's unfortunate passing 
And I'm just gonna put this out there, guys. Let's see if you guys agree with this statement. This is probably the most, I would say in the Prince fan community, people have been the most excited about this over pretty much everything else that's come out since April 21st, 2016. Yeah, I think so. I think with this one, I think enough time has passed that people are kind of are excited. Like when Purple Rain Deluxe came out, it was kind of a bittersweet release. Like people were appreciative of the release, but didn't know how to quite take it. Uh, and the same with the Forever release and this kind of thing. But this is like, you know, this is really all unheard material, at least on the released side of things. So I think, and, and there's sort of been a good build up to this one. They've been promoting it. So yeah, I agree. I think people are probably most excited about this than anything else the estate have released so far. Yeah, I think it's a good point about Purple Rain coming out in 2017. That was way too soon. I mean, they could have released anything at that time. And I think as good or as bad as it would have been, it was just too soon. It was, you know, even two years down the line was too soon. But now people, to Toe James' point, I feel like a lot of people are starting to turn a corner because you have to, you've got no choice. At the end of the day, there has to be a point for everyone where you just start getting back into the music, the love of the music and, um, you know, enjoying things again and looking forward to things again. And there's, there's a lot of anticipation. I mean, this has now officially been released as we record this show. And a lot of people have been anticipating this, all four of us included. But the other thing I should point out is that I guess we've got a track history of doing this. Generally speaking, we also want to give it some time and live with it for a little bit and really kind of immerse ourselves in the experience. And that's what we've been doing. I mean, I don't know how many times exactly you guys have all spun this, but I've been playing it pretty much nonstop, number of times a day since it's come out. And that's you know, partially recently for this review, but also because the music's been very, very intriguing to say the least. So, um, but didn't you want to be the first? Didn't you want to review it first? <laughs> didn't you want to have the first review out there? Like the day it came out? Isn't that enough time? You've heard it once. Get your review out. What are you waiting for? There's nothing else to hear <laughs> well, after that me. first listen. You're done. The captain has spoken. Were you in the darkened room when you did the first listen? How did you know that? Did I say that? Did I reveal that to you? Yeah. But they, I did, actually. Yeah, but, uh, we have to mention, you avoided knowing the track list until you listened to it, didn't you? Yeah, so, I did. So, yeah. Give us that experience. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I did have a few questions I was going to ask you guys, but I guess I can go ahead and give you everyone a bit of an insight. So I tried my best to not read any of the track listings. In fact, I didn't read them. But life being life, I was aware that Nothing Compares to You was on... This is before the album came out, before I ever heard it. I was aware that Nothing Compares to You was on there and I knew it was the last track. I knew that Sex Shooter was on there and that it was the first track. And there was a third song. I'm just trying to think if it was Jungle Love or Manic Monday. I think it might have been Manic Monday that for some reason I had overheard someone talking about. And so I knew the titles or the names of three songs out of 15. So for me, it was, it was super crazy because it was like literally like listening to an album for the first time back in the old days when I'm talking about pre-internet, you know, before the online space blew up, it was like picking something up and kind of knowing, oh, this might have one or two songs I've heard of or um, whatever the case may be, but it was just weird not knowing so, what was coming up. So when you bring up title, did you look at the track list, hit play, no. or did you hit play, no. sit there? Hit play, and... sit down. Yeah, so to your point, I have this ritual that um, I don't actually do for every album that comes out, but when something comes out that is that I'm so excited by that I feel like I need to give it the proper space and time, I choose an evening where I know I can do this, where I'm home after work, nothing else on, I'll put it on, 
I'll turn all the lights off, I'll light a candle, or I'll put a, like a little light on in the middle of, in the corner of the room, and I'll sit in the middle of the room, right between two you speakers. Sacrifice a lamb, you do a seance. <laughs> <laughs> Some things I'm not allowed to talk about on this show, but um, uh. so there's a, you know, there may be incense burning. Um, I'm just putting it out there, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting little ritual. The, the last time I did that was without going too much of a tangent. Anna Calvi is an artist that I've been listening to a lot recently. She came out with an album that I did the same ritual for last year. The album's called Hunter. Great album, by the way. And previous to that, it was Kamasi Washington's The Epic that came out, I want to say, probably two or three years ago now. I did the same for that. Mind-blowing experience. But anyway, cut a long story short, I went through this ritual for the, for the Prince Originals release, and it was pretty mind-blowing because as we're about to get into, the music is awesome all over the shop and I kind of knew it would be I, I thought it was going to be predominantly from the 80s and it is but man talk about variety that was the big thing for me so yeah. when you're sitting there in the dark listening to this you didn't even know what track was coming next no idea Ooh, no. that'd be that'd be fun I knew Sex Shooter was first and I knew Nothing Compares to You was last and I had a pretty good feeling that Manic Monday was somewhere in there but I had no idea what the other 12 songs were and I didn't know the order so yeah it was kind of crazy but then when he's like halfway listening through the album, he's like, oh, I'm going to rearrange that one. I'm going to put this one here. I'm going to change that. Resequence that. Yeah. <laughs> now, track six, that should really have been track four, but we'll sort that out later. <laughs> and and <laughs> to your point, it has been sorted out later. The Rob Best resequence does exist. I'm just waiting for the right time to release it. But out of respect for this release, I haven't done so yet. But um, yeah, I don't know how many people around the world did a similar thing or had their own rituals. I'm sure people do things. No way. No? no one. Just no? you, bro. Just hey, you. wait. No, no, wait a second. <laughs> Just because of that comment, anyone out there, send us a tweet, send us an email. If you did uh -huh. anything similar, I, I want to I know I'm not alone. I don't want to be alone. You are so anyways, not alone. <laughs> so that that's, was that, yeah, it's, all, it's like all those other throngs of people that rate Batman 4 out of 10. <laughs> I wouldn't know anything well. about that. That was some guy called MC. I'm Rob S. So what oh, are you talking about? <laughs> so anyway, so what? that's enough about me for the time being. What about you guys? I mean, who in the room did something special insofar as listening to this album slash who in this room was super excited and anticipating this release and the minute it came out just couldn't wait to press play? I mean, I'm assuming everyone, but... I was driving. I was driving in the car and it was, was it two o'clock? I think it was two o'clock here it came out. yeah. 2 p.m., yeah. So I just chucked the title, put that in the car, and then, yeah, I was driving. It was good. Oh, wow. That is the now. first listen from beginning to end, I did the listening to it on the speakers thing. Not, not a candle lit, not knowing what was coming next. I knew what was coming next, but I made the effort of starting from the beginning, listening right to the end. Hmm. You know, that, that's like the usual you know, new Prince album ritual for me. It just has to be speakers, like good quality speakers, loud, sit in the center, and make sure you listen to it from beginning to end. Yeah, cool. Very cool. I'm still trying to work out how long Captain's trip was because this is what about <laughs> it wasn't a trip to the corner store unless you were doing oh, circles. I, play, I played it a few times. Oh, no, wow. that, okay. that was like a four-hour drive. Oh, geez. Were you going 100 miles per hour? No, don't answer that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, close to it. <laughs> a, cop, a cop pulls him over. Do you know how fast you were going? 100 miles 100 an hour, miles baby. An hour. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's all about. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Uh, player, what about you? What was your experience, your first experience with this like? Uh, I was at my desk at work and I oh, hit wow. play and I didn't get really much work done. So. 
It was good. good. Well, luckily you go by a different name on this show, so if your employer is listening, they will won't know what the the story is. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure to get back to them. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Oh, that player guy really sounds like Tom Jeffries down the street, doesn't he? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, everyone was anticipating this clearly. You guys played it pretty much the minute it came out, it sounds like. Um, And I think Tejam and myself weren't too far behind, but... You know, we always start these shows before we go into our track by track review. We talk about context. We talk talk about you know what was happening, promotion, uh, speculation, all sort of anticipation, as I mentioned. So before we do our song by song review and discussion and analysis and all of that sort of stuff, anything else you guys want to throw out there about this album in general, or anything else that I've kind of touched on? I've got a bunch to say, and I think player might too about the. Um uh, what's the word? The, the authenticity of some of these tracks, and a, as they've been presented to us. But um, I think we'll leave that till a bit later. Yeah, don't want to start off okay. with that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, MC. Just in case there's someone listening who has no idea what this album is, why don't you tell them? Okay. Here we go. Uh, this is as it's been presented to the public. Basically, the Prince Estate collaborated with, partnered with uh, Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Records, that is, and uh, Title. In the sense that this is. In some respects, a, a as far contractual as the re- obligation. It is. Yeah. It's a contractual yeah. obligation album. It is. Player said it, not me. Another it one. <laughs> yeah, and that's a good point. But it's also, I think it should be pointed out that had it not been for that contractual obligation, quote we unquote. We wouldn't be hearing this at all. Exactly. And so I think for that, we, we have to be very, very grateful. So to Jay-Z and his people over at Tidal, certainly a bit massive shout out to them. No matter what anyone says, good, bad, or indifferent, it's out there. And I think they would have had a, a lot to do with it because of the circumstances of the relationship they had with Prince prior to his passing. However, let's get back to what this actually is. I wonder if all these people who just dismiss albums like Chaos and Disorder and, and The Vault just because they're contractual obligation albums, if they've also dismissed this, because that's what it is. That'd be interesting to find out. Anyway. Well, the interesting (laughs) thing about what you've just said, and I don't want to open up too much of a can of worms or go on too long a tangent, but I would estimate that the vast majority of people that are listening to this aren't even thinking of it as a contractual obligation album because that aspect of it hasn't really been marketed, right? (laughs) Most people. (laughs) Like they would. (laughs) What a great marketing aspect. Oh, come and listen to this. It's our contractual obligation album. <laughs> exactly. But that's, that's the thing. If, if you were running the record label, you wouldn't do that. No, like no one in their right mind would go, this that's is a contractual why, obligation. That's why we're putting it out there because that's what it is. So there you go. Okay. I think we should also clarify for the audience what, what we're talking about. And that is basically, from my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that effectively Jay-Z had an agreement with Prince that one of his next albums would be released on title. Yes. Now, obviously, Prince passed prior Correct. to April sixteenth. Yeah, exactly. Prior, yeah. So this is prior to Prince's passing. But a new a new album with new music, yep. not this. Yes. Yeah. No. Well, no. That's not. Well, that's not. I think we mentioned. Obviously, what what's fascinating about it is that obviously Jay Z must have had some sort of proof of this. Maybe a recorded conversation or something, or something in you know in writing that this was the case because you know. If Prince didn't have a will, we don't know what the hell. The only thing we know that he wanted done was that he wanted some album on title. So Correct. Jay-Z must have had some, something to get t- tangible to prove that he actually had this agreement. 
That's really um, interesting because I doubt Prince would have signed a contract and I doubt yeah. Jay-Z would have recorded him. So it's interesting to think what proof did he have unless he had 10 witnesses in the room when it happened. Yeah. That's interesting. They could have had emails. They could have had emails. Possibly, yeah. yeah. So yeah, anyway, so obviously there's been some sort of compromise because my guess is that was originally supposed to be phase three or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, black is the new black. Something of that nature. Yeah. No. But obviously there's been a compromise between title and the estate and have agreed that, okay, we'll do this to satisfy the uh, obligation, which I think is, is fair enough. Yeah, and the other thing that, although I'm not clear, and I don't know if you guys are clear on this, but it's certainly worth mentioning is that there may be legal restrictions on releasing any of that material that you just mentioned anyway. So it's very possible and in fact likely to be the case that this Warner Brothers material, which they do have the rights to currently, that was easy to release because, okay, it's clear. We've got the rights to it. We'll partner with you. Estate agrees. Boom. But there's a lot of the, a lot of the new material. In other words, recent material prior to Prince's passing or more recent material. Who knows where that's, which legal division that's tied up with or how that's being taken care of. So, Oh, that's um, on Josh Welton's hard drives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the battle of Troy Carter versus Sean Carter. <laughs> Oh, here we go. No relation. I exactly. Assume, I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so back to this album. Yeah, let's try this again. For anyone that doesn't know what Prince Originals is and the way it's been presented to the public, well, there's a whole press release, so you can certainly go and read that. But the the summary of it is that Prince recorded a whole lot of music in his career, but especially in the early days and in his, let's say, commercial peak and, and peak of popularity, he was producing so much material that not only was he releasing mu his music via his own albums, he was also writing and recording material that he would end up giving to protégés and related artists. Think The Time, think Sheila E, think uh, Jill Jones, Family, Maserati, etc. So the premise is that because it's Prince's music, predominantly Prince's music, I should say, he put it together, he recorded it, he composed it, he arranged it, and he would sing vocals on it either guide vocals, whatever you want to call them, demo vocals, or what appears to be the case for the most part on this album, vocals that sound pretty much good enough to release if he was releasing the music himself. And so, you know, that's what he would do. He would basically record songs and then at some point decide whether or not he was going to give it to someone to release or not. The thing with originals is it seems to be the case that most of this music was recorded with an intention for someone else yeah. to sing slash perform it. And that's the big selling point and the big marketing point here. And the big appeal in many cases is, you know, we're all hardcore Prince fans, the four of us, for sure. And a lot of people listening to this show are. And so all this music that's on here, we've heard the released versions, the, if you will, the original versions prior to this album coming out. Chronologically, all of this stuff was done before any of this music appeared on any of the albums by the artists that Prince gave the songs to. This is probably the most complicated way of explaining the <laughs> what this album is. What this album is. If there's an easier way, please jump in, player Captain or Toe Jam. But basically, yeah, these are the re the original versions. We don't know what take we're listening to. But yes. we do know that they are Prince Originals. And in that, in that respect, it is accurate. They oh. are the original versions of this music. <laughs> okay, so what you just had 10 minutes to explain, let me try and do it in one. Yeah, you do that. I'm, I always waffle. <laughs> <laughs> Prince recorded songs, lots of songs, like you said. And then he gave the song to someone else. Here's the song, all the music's done. I've done a vocal. 
chuck my vocal off, you copy it, record your vocal, done. The end. That's what this album is. For the most part. <laughs> yeah. For the most part. 30 seconds. <laughs> there you go, done. Except Boom. Kenny. Don't forget Kenny. Kenny re-recorded the entire track yeah. and the Bangles And mostly. Manic Monday. Yeah. Now, I will say one, one other thing. I'll read a quick excerpt from the official wording released by the Prince of State about what Captain said, but just expanding on it slightly. So occasionally, Prince's original demo recordings, the ones that we've just been speaking about, would be used as master takes on the albums of the artists that we just mentioned with only minor alterations to the instrumentation and a replacement of the vocal tracks by those artists. So, you know, it depends. To Captain's point, Kenny completely redoes the song, but... So in other words, you know, this goes on to say other times, like with Kenny, artists rely on the demos to guide them through their own recording. So it informs their work, but they still play around with it enough to make it their own in some respects. So there's really no easy way to explain this other than this is all pretty much all Prince music. He did it first. And anytime you've heard these songs officially released prior to this album coming out, it was someone else's take in some respects. So that's it. So you're listening to Prince. You're getting inside a behind-the-scenes look at him recording material that would end up on other people's albums. There you go. Can I just say that um, the promotion of this album's been really substantial, even more so than when Prince was around doing his own albums. There's big billboards in Times Square. There's, there's buses. The sides of buses, yeah, painted with the artwork. And there's heaps of articles, Pitchfork, Rolling Stone, all sorts of places. Like it's getting a lot of uh, attention, this album. So that's really interesting that they're really driving it, which is, which is good. That'd be the Warner stuff promoting their physical, you know, CD and vinyl because they ends, want people yeah. to buy it. But even Tidal's been going hard on like online promotion, oh, yeah, especially yeah. the last few days of their exclusive two weeks. They're really pushing it. Like there, there's like every few hours, there's like a tweet or there's something. Oh, look at this song on title. Here's a here's a little video of of, of Tommy Barbarella talking about something about Prince. Like they're going off in the last mm. few days. Yeah, I'd agree with that, and I think that's fantastic for Prince's name and his legacy. It's kind of ironic that now that he's sadly no longer here with us in the physical realm, whoever is pulling the strings behind the curtain, you know, they're in the system, and therefore, you know, in the record music system and the label system and all this sort of stuff. And so now he's getting all this exposure. Whereas ironically, we could almost guarantee that if something like Black is the New Black or whatever, Hit and Run Phase 3 or whatever project would come out, you wouldn't be seeing this on billboards in Times Square. Forget about it. So it's interesting. Definitely interesting. Can I just say one more thing that's exciting is we have the results from you, the listeners, the survey that has gone out. If you've done it, thank you for participating. We will share with you the results of how this sits, the most likable track, the least likable track, and everything in between. You're going to hear it all on this show. Oh, yeah. All right. We have spoken about the context within which this album has been released we've spoken a little bit about things not related necessarily to the songs themselves and the track by track which we're about to do so let's go into that now starting with track number one sex shooter who wants to take this off my hands do we have any sex shooters in the audience tonight (laughs) 
Oh, God. And this is the opening to the track-by-track track, uh, review. Okay, I'm going to hand it over. There can only be one man to start off this review considering the title, and it is, of course, Player. What are your thoughts on this song? Uh, of course. I'm Player and I'm Sex Shooter. Yeah, of course. All right. Yeah, I, re- I, I really like Sex Shooter. I like this song. It's <laughs> The music is the same as Apollonia 6, um, pretty much. I, I don't really have a lot to say because of, of that, but one thing that gets me is that fade out at the end. Like, the original song even went for longer than that, so... I'm just kind of disappointed that the length of this one, I know they're called originals and they're supposed to be demo-like and they've added a lot of bells and whistles to the other tracks on here, which we'll get onto later. But I would have liked to have seen the synths really souped up on here, particularly at the end. I would have liked to it, for it to have been a bit longer. I've got to give a shout out to Captain who's sent me or sent all of us the mix where we stripped out Prince's vocal. Actually, the technique is, um, there's a word for it, it's called oopsing. And I used to do it as a kid. You used to pull the headphone jack out of the cassette deck. Halfway. (laughs) Halfway. And it'll create this effect. And it's, it'll go center, mono because there's... channel extractor. There you have it. And when you do that, you hear things in the mix that you don't normally hear when it's in its full sort of spectrum. But now there's software that does it. Captain did it. And there's just if you just listen to it, there's some amazing layers, especially in the synths, in the chorus, that when I heard it, it's like, wow, where's this? That descending synth line, yeah. Yeah. It's like, where did that come from? But then when you go back and listen to the normal mix, you can hear it. But... Before yeah. that, you just didn't notice it. Exactly. So that really surprised me. I really like hearing that sort of stuff, all those hidden layers within within the track. So more than what got released, it's what you can't hear that actually blew my mind with this track. So uh, I, I think it's good. I think Prince is um, not bored with singing it, but he just, you know, is just demonstrating the song so that he can give it to somebody else to, you know, Apollonia to build it out. So... It's just a run through. It's it's great. I like the song. And yeah, that's pretty much it from me. All right, all right, all right. Let's keep it moving with Toe Jam. What are your thoughts on this one? Well, it's a classic Prince song and we reviewed it, the Apollonia 6 version of it, which we went into more of the detail of the bits of the song, I guess, back in our Apollonia 6 album review. So I'll just summarise the things that make this song so cool. And it's got that classic mm-hmm. Lin, it's got that flanged like sort of train effect, like ch running all the way through it and that's just so cool uh it's got great hooky synth bits that sort of remind me of like knee deep uh it's got that cool kind of time walking bass and it's just a great pop lyric Mm. you know sex shooter shooting love in your direction like just classic 80s pop and it's so good so about this version now i mean we joked about the fact that this song sung by a woman sort of seems weird you know she's the sex shooter shooting love in your direction it's always like ah, shouldn't it be kind of the other way around (laughs) So this one's a bit weirder because in some ways it works better. Because so you haven't got... watched Captain's movie collection, obviously. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you haven't lived. <laughs> <laughs> well, player would know being a sex shooter, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So in some ways they work better because now you've got a male singing it. But then on the other hand, it's still clearly written, you know, f- from the point of view of a female. So... It's just weird. It's it's very strange. But, you know, you take into account you're listening to this and this is Prince writing a song for someone else. So you can, you know, you don't take it too seriously, obviously. So it's 30 seconds shorter than the Apollonia 6 version. So I think there's like a – there might even be a verse that's cut out. I'm not sure. But it seems to get straight to that sort of breakdown 
section quite early in the song. Um, so I don't know yeah. whether that's an edit from people who put this album together or whether that's the way Prince originally recorded. And it's just fascinating. All these start, questions start popping in your head like, did he originally have it that way and then he, did he add a verse or did he always intend to put another verse in but just didn't get around to it when he did the demo and this kind of thing? Fascinating. It's great to hear some vocals in this that are actually in tune, like Apollonia 6s. There's some <laughs> lines in there that are just, you know, we talked about this when we did the album review too, that some of those, some of those Apollonia 6, um, some of that singing is a little bit out of tune. It's good to hear Prince actually hitting it in tune. If only they had auto tune back in uh, 1983. Oh, thank God they didn't though. <laughs> and something, I don't know, something I just noticed today, I don't know if I've ever noticed it before, like the connection where at the end they seeing, you know, all the nasty people seeing it. And then they think, oh, of course, it's like a reference to Nasty Girl, you know, which was the mm. Vanity Six big song. And I just started thinking like, you know, Sex Shooter and Nasty Girl, they're just two great songs and it's so hard to separate which is funkier. Yeah. So this is going to be a bit of a theme for all a lot of these songs, I think, the ones that have been released. Like in some ways it kind of sounds a bit purer because it's it's got a little bit less reverb. It's a bit, it's yeah. just, you know, more full and, and less polished and um, you know, might not have wanted to release it that way back in the 80s. You might wanted to put a bit more reverb on it, polish it up a bit. But from the point of view of the, the historian looking back on Prince, this is just really raw, like some of these songs, and it's so good to hear it. Uh, so that's my review of Sex Shooter. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to jump in, if that's all right, just quickly, because something that you said I wanted to kind of uh, follow on from, which was how it actually, in a weird way, makes more sense hearing Prince sing this, i.e. you get the male version, right? He's singing it as a man. And I completely agree with you, especially with regards to those pull my trigger lines like that. You know, I'll, I'll leave that to the our audience's imagination and you don't have to have a too vivid an imagination to, to realise what, <laughs> what the song's references are about. But, you know, pull my trigger and come on, kiss the gun. When Prince sings it, those lines have much more pop and <laughs> they, they have more of like the sense of humors there but they also kind of work there's a there's a double entendre there that seems to work it doesn't work as well when a, when a woman's singing it right he also has lyrics like no girl's body is as so he's like he's still singing exactly it from the what i was gonna say yeah no not necessarily because it depends i was about to just say uh, go into what you just mentioned ah, which is, when going. he says no girl's kiss no girl's rhyme, no girl's vibe or body can compete with mine. It's probably not what he's what he meant because he was writing for a female character, but it can also be read as like me, Prince, the guy, the the King Mac Daddy or whatever. <laughs> you know, no no <laughs> girl's kiss, body, etc. can can compete with mine. Can compete again, probably reaching there on my part, but it can be read in more ways than one. Interesting. Could um, it be a, a Bambi situation where it's like? No. It's better Ooh. with a band. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh, hey, maybe. Uh, anything goes. I mean, it's 2019, right? So, but the other thing is, Apple in the Apollonia Six version, she prefaces these lines by saying, "Listen, boys," and then she says, "You know, no girls kiss, no girls." So she's clearly saying, "No other girls kiss, body, etc." Can compare to mine because she says, "Listen up, boys." Whereas he obviously doesn't need to do this. So. Again, like I said, it's very of these times, i.e. where we're at as a society, as a, as a world. <laughs> this, this is a way more in-depth conversation on this track than I really expected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't, didn't think it was going to be that deep, but, but look, it's We even, go deep. Yeah. Sex shooter goes deep. <laughs> we, we're talking in 2019. <laughs> we just can't help ourselves. But, um, you know, this, is, this was recorded in the early 80s and it was a very different 
time, society was very, very different then as well. And so the fact that this song, whether intentional or not, seems to stand up, you know, some of its lyrical content stands up as good or possibly better than it did back in the early 80s is kind of crazy talking about pioneering and, and futuristic sounding. So this is pretty cool. I think everyone would agree that this song in its current form, i.e. the original version, and I guess the Apollonia 6 version as well, but this one seems to have more punch and bite. It would stand up on a dance floor any day of the week in any club in any country. I think this would be like it would shoot straight, <laughs> pardon the pun, to number one if it was released and marketed properly, you know, for, for, for DJs, etc. But Look, this is basically the same song. It's virtually identical to the one released by Apollonia 6. And um, yeah, my comments are the same as, as what I said during that album review, which is this is a very funky early 80s track. The only major difference outside of the ones that everyone's mentioned so far for me are sound quality-wise, the bass and, the dr- and, and sound level-wise, the bass and the drums of this track are, are much louder than the Apollonia 6 version. Part of that is because of the way it's been mastered, but I'm happy to report because I did some some dynamic range testing on all of these songs and I'm not going to go track by track, but Ooh. I will just say this one is actually not too bad. It's squashed a little bit and that's why I think the bass and the drums are punchy, but they haven't, just as a general rule of thumb here, on this song and on pretty much the vast majority of material on these mm. originals. So. I did the same thing, and you would have found out there's really only one track which is horrible. That we'll there's one track that. that's horrible. <laughs> there, there, there's a couple that are, aren't are great, but then probably yeah. the, the the rest of them are pretty decent. So they didn't completely ruin the dynamic range, so thumbs up on that. And um, perfect segue into Captain. Yeah. Okay, this is it's such a great track. It's classic Minneapolis sound. We said it in the album review. It's just, it's it's good. I love those big cymbal smashes on the one every now and then. Like Player said, he doesn't sound bored, but we're going to come to this in a, a few of these tracks. And this really is just, it's a guide vocal. There's nothing amazing about it. It's very straightforward as to what he wanted the female vocal to be like. He's not doing any crazy things. He's just singing the song to be replicated. And um, we'll talk about this as we go, but that's the way he sings a lot of these versions. It's pretty basic, straightforward. He's not giving it much more than the bare minimum that he needs to. He's not putting all his energy into this stuff. It's not for him. It's not his vocal track that he's going to keep forever. He didn't care. And that's not a It's not a criticism. I mean, why would he go all out on a track that he's just going to give to someone else? He did what he had to do. He put down a guide vocal. That's what it is. Sound quality, like uh, MC said, is pretty good on this. Like, this sounds really good on headphones, but um, I think player said as well. Oh, and Toe Jam, the, the, the fade, the early fade, no idea why. Uh, yeah, that sucks. So, yeah, the fades, the fades are annoying. There's a few tracks like that. They Whether that's down to the tape was damaged or whatever reason, it's not like there wasn't enough space. This is only a 63-minute yeah. album. Most yeah. of these versions could have been the full versions that hopefully exist but we didn't get them for whatever reason. Anyway, that's all. Okay, with Sex Shooter done, let's move to track number two in this album sequence. It is, of course, Jungle Love. And as I did with the first track, it's happening again, ladies and gentlemen. Player, what are your thoughts on this song? (laughs) Okay. 
Well, let me just say this, of course, is the first song of two on this set from the unreleased Prince album, Timeless. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I don't want people to think that's actual true information. That was just a joke. This, of course, is Prince doing his take on Jesse Johnson's demo. Of course, Jesse presented this to Prince and turned it into Jungle Love, I guess. And it's important to note that this originated from Jesse. And we've got to give Jesse credit because Jesse himself put this original or demo. Not this, but his, his original demo that he gave to Prince up online on Facebook a few years back. So that is circulating and it is a very basic track of this song. But um, everything's there. Yeah, everything's there. Like everything that you hear on the time version is pretty much on this. i got to give credit to Morris for nailing the vocal guide. It sounds almost identical to the release version by the time. And the audio quality on this track is, is particularly quite good. You know, the audio levels uh, jump up and down on, on this release, but this, this is quite, quite good. It's just a straight run through of the track. There's nothing really um, spectacular or crash hot about it. And we've reviewed this track in our time episodes. But um, yeah, it's Prince. Like, I think the vocal for Prince is very unusual. It doesn't really sound like him. I think he's trying to... Morify, Morify, <laughs> yeah, to make it like easy for him to to sing it because it doesn't really sort of sound like Prince, but um, yeah, it's quite good. It's it's a nice inclusion, but it doesn't like I don't sit there and go, oh my god, this is like Prince's version of Jungle Love. It just sounds like Jungle Love to me. So mm. yeah, it's good. Like it. You know the interesting thing, like all the songs on this album, is you know this is Prince doing the guide vocal for whoever is gonna copy it and try and sing like him but then you've also got the other side of it you've got prince in a lot of these songs he tries to sound like the person who's gonna yeah, recreate it. it yeah like sex shooter he sings it in the falsetto he sings it how that's how it's gonna be and in this he sounds a lot like morris and you know you're my love we'll get to that <laughs> you know that's not the way he normally <laughs> sings he's singing it for that guy so yeah it's interesting yeah all right toe gem what are your thoughts on this one on, on this version. I really don't have a lot more to say about this one as well. It sounds quite demo, but then I even thought that about the Ice Cream Castle version. I think the problem with this song is that yeah. the version on Purple Rain, I think like the movie, is seems to me maybe a little bit faster and you've got the crowd noise yeah. in the background and it just seems to have much more energy. And I've always felt the album version just kind of lacked something and I yeah. kind of feel the same about this as well. Just on that Jesse Johnson recording, I'm not sure I've heard that. Does it have vocals on it or is it just instrumental? Just instrumental, I think. I thought yeah. so, yeah. So Prince is primarily responsible then for the uh, lyrics and the vocals. Yeah. And I guess the arrangement as well because the, the arrangement here is basically the one that they use for the, for the, uh, the Ice Cream Castle album. Um, so that's interesting. Um, so in that sense, it really is a, a Jesse Johnson Prince composition with a bit of Morris Day influence happening, you know. Mm. Except Jesse decided to leave the time and then Prince dropped his name from the credits of the song. So mm. what about that? <laughs> Controversy. <laughs> I'm sure Jesse loved that. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's two minutes and 30 shorter than the album version. And it does kind of seem to finish quite short. It just seems to run through. Like Player said, it's just a straight run through and then it just sort of finishes. And I don't know, I find this is one of the more skippable songs on this, possibly because <gasps> it's just such a massive Prince song again. Prince era Purple Rain song. You know, you think Purple Rain, you think Jungle Love and, you know, he was playing it a lot um, over the last five years or so and 
I just kind of feel like I'm a bit over the song. So I just feel it's a bit skippable for me personally. So uh, that's, that's Jungle Love. Wow, wasn't expecting that <laughs> final comment there. Captain, what are your thoughts on this one? Oh, we reviewed this song when we reviewed the Time album and there's really not a lot of differences between the two. Morris, like player said, Morris recreated Prince's vocals almost exactly, you know, that was the job description. And when I listen to this version with Prince, like sometimes I just totally even forget that it's it's Prince. I'm just thinking, oh, like Toejam said, you know, I'm just listening to Jungle Love because it's it's such so similar. But um, you know, again, the sound quality is good. You do have a bit of reverb on Prince's voice, and there's a bunch of tracks on this album which have that. And I don't know if that's something that's that's a you know 2019 thing to decide to put reverb on a lot of his vocals, which he didn't do that much of not this much on his own work when he was still around, but that's annoying. But anyway, but you know, this, this song, how funky is that guitar? It's just like, it wasn't that long ago. Toe Jam mentioned in some show that Prince loved that, that guitar riff from thank you for letting me be myself. And he sticks it all over the place. And here it is again. It's, um, it's a little different, but it's there. You know, you're alternating between that main note and the seventh and you finish off each line with that little chord strum. It's, it's the same thing. He just loves it. He can't stop doing it. But this song, it's um, it's okay. Yeah, I don't know. What do you say? It's it's again edited. It's fa- It's just it's too short. Just like Sex Shooter. There's it fades out. We don't know why. Unless the liner notes are gonna tell me something different. It's annoying. The end. <laughs> I will agree that it is too short. But I'll, I'll get to that in a second. So first of all, some I'm gonna show some love for Jungle Love because it deserves it. And although we've already spoken about this song before in our Ice Cream Castle review. We, uh, I think it deserves some more love. So the groove, the bass line, the synth hooks and stabs, the rhythm guitar underneath, that whole Minneapolis sound vibe, it all comes through and it, it's all there in the original Jesse Johnson demo of this song, yep. as Player said earlier. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say that Prince didn't contribute because he contributed a whole lot to this track in the sense that he came up with the lyrics, he came up with the melody of the vocal line and you know the lead line the back line all that other stuff so it's definitely a collaboration between jesse and prince but i think even if you listen to that jesse johnson demo the the funkiness of the song comes from jesse johnson like Mm. this is a killer instrumental groove regardless of whether anything anything else is added to it so he created jesse johnson created this basic music and, you know, we all know the story. Prince basically took it or, you know, <laughs> took it might be the wrong terminology. But regardless, he, he got it one way or another, added some parts, wrote some lyrics, vocal parts, and, you know, we get the final mix. But over here, it's a little bit different because the final mix that is on the Time album is the Time playing that song. And you got Jesse on guitar and this, I mean, it's inherently funky, but there's that famous guitar breakdown and a really fiery guitar solo in that version you know, it's a filthy funk slice of nastiness, make no, no mistake about it, but <laughs> that's the version. That is the great version for me. It's the definitive version. This is really, really nice to have, but I don't think it compares to the version that's on the time record. I mean, look, Prince adds tambourines and shakers and OEO chants and, you know, the limb drum track on his version is more sophisticated. Tambourine? Musical genius. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know if it's a tambourine, but there's some sort of shaker, shake your money maker. There's some sort of shaking action going on there. But 
the Lindrum track on this version on the originals album is more sophisticated. It sounds more evolved compared to Jesse Johnson's original demo. The vocals, the attitude, what the song... See, this is the, the genius of Prince. He takes a, a super funky instrumental demo, Jam, but he creates a song that actually has a theme and a concept behind it because he adds all those what are now known as classic lines in the Prince canon. So... That's that leads me to some of the stuff that I love most about this compilation album, which is the little the little moments you get to hear Prince in the studio, whether he's laughing or whether he's sighing or whether he's breathing. You just get this peek behind the curtain, which kind of lines up with the album cover to some degree. Um, but anyway, back to the music. Yeah, three minutes is just not enough. Like it's funky, but it doesn't explode at the end. The production's good. The volume is good, the dynamic range is okay, but it's not the definitive version. So for me, it needs the guitar breakdown. It needs some crazy guitar work to take it to another level. And mm. um, because of that, it's really nice to have, and I will definitely listen to it. And speaking of listening to it, allegedly when this was recorded, everyone, well, not everyone, but Jesse Johnson, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, they were all allegedly in the studio when Prince was recording this in, what, late March 1983, we believe. So that's kind of cool to, to just think about. I mean, you know, imagine being a fly on the wall. And um, I'll just end my review with a little bit of an excerpt from Dwayne Tadal's book, and this is a quote from Jesse Johnson. I played tapes of my songs for him, he's referring to Prince, and Prince would literally start laughing. He'd call Morris over and be like, listen to this, listen to this, and they both laughed. When I brought him the music for Jungle Love, he wasn't laughing anymore. <laughs> and I just find that really, really cool because I think Prince would have heard that and gone, holy shit, this is hot. Like, this is straight fire. I've got to do something with this. So again, nice track, but massive shout out to Jesse Johnson because he deserves it and he deserves the credit for being a part of this track. <sighs> Come on. Okay. Where's your guts? Track number three. <laughs> Track number three, Manic Monday. Manic Monday, take it away, Captain. Ooh, okay. I love this song. Whether it's a Prince song or it's a Bangles doing it, it's one of his best songs like pop songs that he ever wrote. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people have heard the original, you know, duet version with Apollonia and Prince. And you got the released Bangles version to compare with as well. But yeah, this seems to be one of the, you know, the, the 2019 mixes. So if this, is mm. pri if this is Prince's version before he gave it to anyone, you know, why are Brenda and Jill on the backing vocals? That's just interesting. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, enough of that. I love the piano in this song. It's almost got like a honky-tonk sound. It's just got this sort of yeah. wobbly sound and it's really good. I like it. And acoustic guitars all over the place. There's one on the left, there's one on the right doing different things. And we mentioned this at some point years ago. You don't usually hear just straight out acoustic guitars or Prince tracks. They're either really yeah. buried in the mix or they're just not there. So it's cool to hear that. And um, oh, this song. The thing I love about this song is right before the chorus... I wrote down how to explain this. It's such a simple thing, but to, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a stupid long explanation. Okay, this, Toe Jam knows, this song's in D. It's very simple. It's D and G and A. That's it. That's the song. Oh, and you've got the bridge as well. But um, just before the chorus, it goes to A. 
and the piano plays that little riff that it does, and then it ends. In the Bangles version, it doesn't. But at the end of that little piano riff, it goes down to the third of A, which is the D flat. And I love how it sits there every time right before it goes to the chorus. I don't know why I like it, but it's just really good, and it's not on any other version of Manic Monday, except this one. So even if this is some weird compilation mix, if it got me to hear that, then that's okay. But yeah. <laughs> Complicated explanation for such a simple bloody thing. <laughs> it's just one note, but how to explain it, I don't know. I think I heard that today and I was like, I wasn't sure if that was actually, because I'm like, I didn't think I'd notice that. And I'm like, maybe that is in the original, but I didn't go back to look to check. It's not. It's not. Yeah, it's not. It's only no. here. It goes, you know, it does a little riff and then it, it just hangs on that yeah. note before it goes back to D and it's just, oh, it's just nice because it's just straight out major chords, which I like. It's a pop song. That's what it should be. It's really good. And the bridge, again, the bridge, oh, different to the Bangles version. This, mm. a few people were saying like, maybe it's the way he's singing it because it's just a guide vocal. He's not putting a lot into it. But then a few people have said that it also sounds like a bit melancholy because he's singing like this sort of happy song, but he sounds down and that's interesting. Mm. So, but Well, yeah. it is. He doesn't want to mm. go to work. It's, he, he's woken up from his dream and... Yeah. You know, he he liked, you know, oh, the dream yeah. that he was in and didn't want to go to work. So, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, oh, my God, I have to go to work. Not to mention. On, on this Monday. It's funny you say the dream bit, player, because regular and long-time listeners of, of our show would be aware that anytime we say the words dream song, it's probably a reference <laughs> to some mm. of Toe Jam's favourite music. Mm. And, mm. and in a weird way, Toe Jam, this is actually literally a dream song because... Mm. Prince did wake up at 6am in the middle of a dream and that's what he, some of the first words he wrote down, allegedly. So there you go, another dream song for you. And well, another thing that, that's a reference is they say that this is linked to 1999. It uses the same... Don't steal my notes. Melody or, well, <laughs> see, in that song, 1999, I was dreaming when I wrote this. So it's got that, it links the two through that dream yeah. thing as and well. And now it's, so, I was just yeah. in the middle of the dream. It's exactly the same. Yeah. It's interesting. Man, it's yeah. the same melody. Yep, it is, straight yeah. from it. Total ripoff of himself. What a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I think he gave it away. I think he realised early on that, well, this is a bit too close to 99. Too similar to my own yeah. song. Yeah. But anyway, back to the bridge. The bridge is good. I really like the Bangles version and their bridge, but I think I like this version more. You've got that just weird, just banging on the piano at the end of it. Yeah, that's weird. And then a big mm. slide down. Ah, oh, that's good. There's the bass on this track, like not just the bass sound but the actual bass guitar or synth bass whatever's on there i think it's a real bass there's these two little cool little bass like rundowns there's one at 208 and there's one again around 216 and they're just really cool because they stand out because all the rest of the song is just straight just like just playing the note dum dum but then it gets to these two little bits and it's like do 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 doing this funky stuff and it's like well, where'd that come from it's like even on just the most basic track he's like he just can't help himself he's just got to do something interesting it's just cool but yes this song it's great but you know i'll tell you where the mc talk about sequencing what what's wrong with this song being the third track on this album come on it's not what did prince what did prince always do it's not a ballad exactly bang mistake <laughs> why couldn't why couldn't it just made noon rendezvous track three problem solved but see they don't know what they're doing but I'm, anyway moving I'm on not, i'm not saying i'm not saying anything about sequencing moving <laughs> right along <laughs> not the rob s version no no that will come out but uh yeah so uh is that about it captain done done okay it's great captain says it's great what does toe jam say 
Yeah, I like the song. It's a classic 80s pop song. You hear it, you know, you'll be in the shopping centre and you'll hear it and you'll be, oh, there's that Prince song that he gave to the Bengals. What do you know? Uh, It's got a great (laughs) chorus. You know, it's a good story song where he's running through the days of the week sort of thing and he doesn't like his – he wishes it was his fun day but it's Monday instead. I like that fun day thing. I think that's a good line. Uh, This version is interesting, like Captain was saying. It has a bit of a Dream Factory kind of vibe about it. with, with all those acoustic instruments and that honky-tonk piano. Again, Captain said everything on this mm. that I had. Uh, next thing was the same thing that we said earlier, the 6 o'clock already and just in the middle of a dream, straight from 1999. It's got the dream reference. It's hanging on that major third to the fourth kind of thing, which he did a lot. Um, there's, I, I don't know if it's an additional harmony or it just seems more prominent um, on the chorus from one of the girls. It's just another manic Monday. And um, I'm glad... I mean, give, if this is the original version or one of the early versions of some sort, I'm glad that that was taken away by the Bengals because I think that kind of sounds a bit cheesy, that extra harmony. So I'm glad that's not in the what was the what was then the released version. Uh, it's got a similar kind of thing to Taping With You where it's got that sort of classical kind of yeah. string line. Ding, 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 uh, ding, ding. It does ding. sound like that, yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, it's a different kind of line, but it's a similar kind of effect, you know, da 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 as yeah. it is in Take Me With You. <gasps> yeah. Oh, wow. Do you know what? Take Me With You was a duet between Prince and Apollonia. The yeah. early version yeah. of Manic Monday was a duet between Prince and Apollonia. There's your brother-sister mm. song right there. Bang. Mm. <laughs> Which it's, all <laughs> it's all connected. It's all connected. Yep. <laughs> Getting back to that Dream Factory vibe about it, especially at, um, I think I wrote down 2 minutes 27, something weird happens there. Like you hear that it goes kind of a bit atonal for a bit and the piano's doing some weird creepy line. That's kind of all princely kind of stuff, like just little five seconds Mm. of cool things. Um, So, yeah, I really like the song. How how can I say this? I like the song as, as a straightforward classic 80s pop song, but... It's not the kind of thing that when I think of Prince's greatest pop songs, I immediately think of this. Like it's, it's in the second tier of oh, no? great pop songs that Prince wrote, I think. Like it's, it's pretty formulaic really. Yeah. So most classic pop songs are. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. That's what I mean. That's what I mean I'm torn because it, it's, I don't know, I don't want to be too negative. Do but, you um, think you don't include it in one of his best pop songs because you just don't think of it because it wasn't sung by him or you just don't think as a song it's that good? I think I think the opposite. I think if if Prince had no connection to this, this song would come and go, and no one would care about it. Ooh, I, I don't no, think. I agree with no that. way. I, don't, I disagree. I, don't I disagree think this song, strongly. No, I agree with that. There are a lot of other Prince songs that he gave to other artists that, if they weren't Prince songs, still would have been massive, massive hits. This one, I think, is missing something to really make it super special. That uh, you know, I think like if it didn't have the Prince connection, this would have been like no one would know this song now. Yeah, are you talking about are you talking about the the song as it, as we listened to it on the original's release? Or are you talking about Manic? I'm Monday talking about Manic Monday Bangs? as just the song Manic Monday, regardless of which song. version. You know, ah, you know, that's the, the melody massive, and the chords and yeah. I mean, that, yeah, but I it became to Captain's point. That's a unbelievably catchy, well known slice of classic pop. People at the time, I'm talking in general. That's public, what's so, that's what's so interesting about yeah, it because I agree, have known it is. That it was Prince track. It is classic yeah. '80s pop, but I just wonder. Yeah. I just wonder whether it would have had. Does it have enough to really be classic '80s pop if it didn't have the Prince connection? Yes. You reckon? Yes. Yes, yes I think so. I'm torn. I'm torn. I'm, like, I, 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 I'm, I'm very I'm torn. rare. Captain's probably the biggest classic '80s pop lover, mm. um, as one of our old intros used to say. <laughs> 
oh, he used to say, and I don't normally go that way, but I have to fully agree with that, with, with his comments on this, yeah. Like the Bengals did, they kept very little of the original version like i think well, it's completely kept, recorded like, isn't it? backing yeah. vocals or something yeah yeah no, i think, I think all it's the music that's completely redone. recorded i read somewhere that they still kept some backing vocals or something but who knows but like they and the bridge is different they did their own thing in the bridge like you listen to prince mm. doing like near the end of this like the last few vocal lines of the bridge and it's just like wow he's going over there now and it's just weird to hear because I'm so used to the Bangles version. Like they put their own little thing on it and like they blew up. Like this was on their second album, I think. Like first album didn't do a lot. It was okay. But this song, they blew up after this came out. This was a huge song. Yep. Oh uh, yeah, it was massive. Like I think it was even, I mean, it was huge globally, but I think it was a particularly a big hit in Australia. I don't have any stats in front of me, but I remember. Mm, I think it did pretty well yeah, here, yeah. Being, being a yeah. kid, it just was just an earworm, you know. So, uh, yeah, I don't have anything uh, more to add. Anyway. I mean, it's a good song. Don't get me wrong. It's a good song. And it is very interesting, again, to hear, regardless of whether this is the original or some Frankenstein version of an original of some sort, it's still an interesting uh, mix to hear some of these different parts that, you know, were I was, there. I, I was, yeah. I, I was just waiting to see who was going to be the first one to say Frankenstein. I avoided well, it. I, don't I knew know someone how, would say it. I don't know how this could be a... I don't know how this could be a uh, Frankenstein version because oh, what's Frank to me? This song sounds very like a very modern mix to me. Really? This is In what obviously sense? a 2019. They've played around with stuff here. This just sounds. This song actually sounds different to most other songs on this album. I think just the, the really sonic thing of it. The, yeah. so, the sonic quality. Something about it. It just sounds different, and I'm sure this is one of the ones that they've they've done something to. Yeah, I, I, for whatever reason, don't really hear that. I should clarify. If you're talking about the way it sounds, like it's bright and the bass is really thick and fat and it, the audio quality is kind of a bit different from the rest of the album, then I would agree. But I don't hear Frankenstein at all. There, there's a couple of weird stuff from an arrangement Well, you don't actually hear the monster, the like, stomping through the room. That's not <laughs> what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't Fra- wasn't Frank? But Frankenstein's not the monster. Wasn't the Frankenstein exactly. the? Exactly. Uh, he was the guy. Yeah, the anyway. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Let's get- <laughs> we can do our comic comic and uh, novel podcast another day. All right. I- I've got some some thoughts, but let, let me ta- hand it over to Player. Player, what are your thoughts on this version? Uh, <clears throat> this is a weird one because it has that demo type quality about it. Sounds very stripped back and not as polished as the release version by the Bengals. Um, to be honest, I never really cared for the Bengals version and it's not <gasps> that I hate it. It's not that I hate it, but I also don't love it either. And so for that reason, this doesn't really excite me at all. However, listening to it, I really appreciate the way Prince crafts a pop song. It's short and it's sweet and it follows the pop formula of verse, chorus, bridge, and he nails it all in under three minutes. So, mm. you know, I really appreciate the way he puts together a song like this. Um, This has for me a real psychedelic flavor to it. It sounds Beatles influenced to me. And as you guys have already said it, it feels orally like the brother sister song to take me with you. But I think if this ended up on Apollonia 6, which it was intended for before the Bengals, 
I doubt it would have re- received a single release. And so there's a real chance that this could have gone missing in action on that A6 album if it wasn't given to the Bengals, which mm. is further to what Toyo Jam was kind of getting at. I think if he, if this was on Apollonia 6, it'd be like up there with Happy Birthday, Mr. Christian. It'd be like, <laughs> what's that Matic Monday song? It'd be, no, no one would like put this in the same category as the way it is. So, Context makes a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Mm. So all in all, I don't care for it, but I do appreciate this song for what it is. It makes you think why he took it back from Apollonia. Well, did, he think, did he think, was, oh, this song's it, too good for them? Or did he think, you know, they're this like sex bomb image. This is like a classic pop song. Don't, those two don't really go together. Who knows the reason why he took it back? Yeah. Well, it's destined for them and then it didn't end up there. So, mm. there, yeah, there must be a reason. But then he was like, well, it's got to go to somebody. So, And I'm keen on that Susanna which- Hoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, yeah. but okay. If you think about this, Apollonia Six album came out in '84. Bangles version came out in '86. So if he did take it away from Apollonia Six, he sat on it for a couple of years before giving it giving mm. it to them. So yeah, it's, I, I don't know. Maybe the liner notes will will reveal all. I don't know. This is a bit of non Prince trivia. Player mentioned, I think it was Player who mentioned it sounds a bit like the Beatles. I'm pretty sure, yeah. if I remember correctly, the Bangles were originally called the Lady Beatles and they were, you know, they consciously were like sort of trying to do this idea of we're the female version of the Beatles. But apparently someone else uh. owned the rights to the name the Lady Beatles, so they changed their name to the Bangles. And so it's still got that same kind of, you know, Beatles, Bangles kind of thing. Right. There you go. Very good. I watched a Bangles documentary once. Ooh. Wow, you sat through it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think I was just flipping channels. Like Prince's version of Manic Monday, February 1984. Uh, sometime in 85, he gave it to Susanna Hoffs. Looks like April, May, something like that. And then Manic Monday single by the Bengals came out 23rd of December, 85. So yeah, it sat there for a good year, year and a half. Interesting. Well, the other thing about the point the player was making around, you know, or I don't know if it was player or captain um, talking about well, potentially why it was left off Apollonia 6 album, there could have, all, and there's a lot of, guesswork on on the part of us and everyone else I guess when discussing this sort of stuff but there's a possibility that Prince liked the song let's assume let's go with that and if he did like the song and thought that it had some merit and potentially he wanted to expose it to a wider audience then it's actually a clever move to give it to the Bengals because for two reasons a there may be an opportunity for it to be heard by more people and maybe it'll become a hit which Mm. it ended up becoming the other thing is if you follow that train of thought or that logic, he's the songwriter. So the more people hear it, the more it gets played, the more royalties more you receive. Yep. It could be a very clever way of of thinking, well, I like this track. I'm going to give it to someone who's actually going to put it out there into popular culture. Mm. And it ended up being arguably one of the biggest songs of the year and certainly a massive song from the 80s. So whatever the actual reason was, it was a very wise move whether Prince knew it at the time or not is another thing. But Well, that's the thing. You know, like it, I said, after the worked. Bengals' first album, they weren't that big. Mm. You know, they would have been bigger than Apollonia 6 were, but, yeah, they weren't massive. So unless he saw something there and he's like, oh, maybe these girls are going to go somewhere, mm. who knows? All right. So- I've just got to say, one lyric in um, Manic Monday in Prince's version, he says, got to be to work by nine. <laughs> 
That's just weird. Nobody talks like that. And it doesn't apply to him, which is got to be to work by nine, like to work. Like (laughs) the the concept of work to him, he can't, he doesn't even know how to talk about the word. It just doesn't make sense to him. He can't even put it into English. It's hilarious. Got to be to work. Yeah, got to be by nine. Nobody says to work. I've got to be to work. It's just ridiculous. (laughs) Work. So, my God. Rounding out Manic Monday, I don't hear. Frankenstein on this kind <laughs> oh, of I'm, I'm at a loss for words for what you guys are talking about unless you're referring to the really clumsy arrangement in the last 30 seconds and if that's what you're talking no. about no then no. that then that's fine but I can't hear anything else but um, so you can enlighten me if you want but I'm just at a loss for what that might be the drum feel at the beginning of this track reminds me for some reason of the drum opening to the song money don't matter tonight if you don't know what I'm talking about, oh, listen yeah. to the beginning of this and then listen to Money Don't Matter Tonight and you might notice a bit of a similarity. But what I yeah, like about yeah, this yeah. version... Yeah, can you hear that? So what I like about this version is the nice, clean guitar strumming. That's that's really cool. Then Prince sings the line, I was kissing Valentino. That line doesn't really work for him. <laughs> so now I know it's a guide vocal <laughs> for a female, but, you know, again, it is t- 2019, so... <laughs> Maybe it works. This version also sounds gloomier. <laughs> One of you guys said that it sounds gloomier than the Bengals version. Melancholic. Also, yeah, melancholic. And it's a little too short, but it, it is cool to hear his original arrangement and production. And I do think we are hearing his original arrangement and production. I mean, the, the I vocals. <laughs> yeah, okay. So this is too short. It is cool to hear his original arrangement and production for this. But like I said, the last kind of section of this song, if you will, including the changes at the 2 minute 10 second mark and the 2 minute 25 second mark in particular don't really work for me. Oh, what? It's That's the best part of the song. Up. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, it doesn't work for me. It ends the song ends abruptly, I feel as well. I can't now, resist. Now the Bengals version. The Bengals version, that's the version. That's the beautiful, clean, shiny bubblegum pop song that I normally don't love and I know as I've said before, Captain is a bigger fan of that sort of stuff, but I'm with you. I I love that version. It's the one that I'm most familiar with as well, obviously, as most people would be. It has a quicker tempo, the Bengals version. Susanna Hoff's vocal pitch works way better to create that shimmering slice of mid-80s pop rather than Prince's uh, melancholic or subdued performance. And I also like the background synth arrangement of the Bengals version way more. Like, Mm. it just, it comes off way more... The vibe is different. There's more. It's more colourful to me. It's just. It's just positive to listen to. But again, this is Prince's quote unquote original, in the sense that we're not listening to the Bangles. We're listening to Prince. So you know, it, it is nice to have. But this is not one of the highlights on the set for me. Oh really? Um, this yeah. is. Pr- mm. Oh, this is in the top three for me. Wow. I, like, for me, this is in some ways like an not an artifact, but it's like. I would not seek this this version of this song out to play if I want to hear it. That's what I'm getting at. Like, it's just like it's good to have in case I ever have to reference it. But that's about all it is. Like, I listen to this. I listen to this version, and I just think, you know, it sounds so around the world in a day. Like that, you know, that world music vibe that was going on. Imagine if he kept Manic Monday and he put it on Around the World in a Day. That album would have been, you know, because Around the World in a Day was. That bomb after Purple Rain. 
But if it had Manic Monday, who knows? Mm, yeah. This is what I'm saying about brother-sister track with Take Me With You. You always pair that with Raspberry Beret. It's mm. out, you know, yep. it, it wouldn't be far-fetched if, if he kept Manic Monday for himself and he did the Take Me With You Manic Monday yep. duo. It, you know, it wouldn't be out of place because they, they kind of all sound yeah. the same. Mm. Just on Captain's it point. Was could, a Manic Monday. Could you have put Raspberry Beret and, and Manic Monday on the same album? Like that... I'm not saying they're exactly the same, but it's like they're pretty similar, similar vibes and... Dump, dump beret. You know, I guess if you've got Take Me With You, dump it. Raspberry Beret, Manic Monday, you've written them, you know, in a short period of time. It's, I think it's only inevitable that one of them gets given away to someone else. If he kept uh, Manic Monday and put it on around the world, he would have he dropped Raspberry Beret, I reckon. It's a much better track. It's just another Raspberry Monday. No. <laughs> you That's probably could have both on the same album, but you'd have to put them, like... Far apart. You couldn't have them near each other. Anyway. Side A, side B. Mm. Raspberry Beret could have just been like a non-album track B-side. She wore a manic beret. <laughs> I'm losing my mind here. Okay, let's go into track number four. Noon Rendezvous. Uh, take it away, Toe Jam. Uh, so, yeah, when I put this album on, the first three tracks, I wasn't that excited. I was kind of like, yeah, this is, I mean, this is good stuff. It's hearing Prince's original vocals to these classic Prince 80s songs and we may have had sort of versions that were circulating very similar to these. So I wasn't, like, I was enjoying it. I was happy with it, but I wasn't excited. And it wasn't until this one came on that this was completely different to what I was expecting. When I saw the title... I thought, well, this is just going to be the Sheila E album with Prince's vocal, just like the other songs have been. And it's not. It's mm. basically solo piano and, and vocals with a very slight um, drum loop going on in the background. And suddenly it hit me. It's like this song makes so much more sense to me now as a piano and vocal yeah. song, especially having been very lucky enough to have seen this played live on the piano and yeah. microphone tour in the second Sydney show. So that this to me justifies this album this song alone along with another which i'll get to later on kenny it's a, <laughs> well we'll see we will see <laughs> kenny. kenny i mean this song justifies this album this this is an amazing version this song has gone from a very to me in my a very obscure you know prince song that sheila e did this song you know on the sheila and, and suddenly it's it's been elevated to wow this is a really great song it's so it's so beautifully written the vocal performance is great. Uh, he's got the classic Prince vocal from this time where he's really kind of getting out there, this sort of operatic, almost comedic vibrato. You know, this nasty love game. Like he's really hamming it up. <laughs> and it's just, it's a great... There was no auto-tune on that, folks, <laughs> for those of you listening. Yeah, no, who wants auto-tune? Get rid of that. Uh, so, yeah, this is just a really great piano performance, a great vocal performance. The drum loop in the back, I'm kind of, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure about that yet. In some ways, I kind of wish it wasn't there and it was just piano and vocals. I've got a cuckoo clock that's just going off. I hope you guys can't hear it. No? Good. No. Did you say cuckoo clock? Yeah, cuckoo clock. So what, something's in the oven? No, it's a <laughs> clock. <that> oh. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> uh, a cuckoo clock. <laughs> a cuckoo clock. How the What? What planet are you from where you hear cuckoo clock and you're like, is that something in the oven? (laughs) Cuckoo? No, I thought he said cooker. C-double-O-K-E-R. 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> a quarter o'clock. I thought, yeah, I no, thought you'd right. been baking something. Okay. <laughs> he's making oh, muffins okay. while he's doing the show. <laughs> <laughs> he's a muffin man. He's making okay. brownies. <laughs> I got the butter for your muffin. No. <laughs> okay. Thank God Sheila E's cuckoo's not on this set. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cuckoo clock. Look it up. Okay. <laughs> okay, so the drum beat, I'm not, I'm not entirely sold on it. Sometimes I think it'd be better without it, but then it does really have that purple rain kind of sound to it especially that scene where he takes Apollonia down into the basement and it's got that plays that Mm -hmm. crazy drum loop it's similar kind of sound to that it's kind of got that heartbeat kind of thing to it so it is kind of that drum beat sort of puts it in that time and space of you know 83 84 around there but yeah what it's just amazing to me that Prince has these beautiful songs that are just there in this period and you just totally forget about them until (laughs) until you hear them like this and you're like wow he was such a great songwriter at this time and uh, it's very emotive. Uh, I mean, this completely smokes Sheila's version, as far as I'm concerned. And um, like I said, just hearing this at the piano microphone show, hearing this recording, suddenly this song just makes so much more sense to me. So I'm really happy that this. It does. Yeah. I'm really happy that this came out and is released, and it justifies this album. So that's my review. All right. Well, from one person that was there to another person who I believe heard noon rendezvous done in a piano and mic setting player. Oh my God, I was not prepared for this at all. Um, From the second I hear Prince's voice on this track, uh, like a shiver shoots straight up my spine and I was instantly transported back to 2016 State Theatre Sydney Show 2 where he pulled this out on the piano microphone tour. Like I don't want to electric intercourse this, but this is amazing. It's very similar time period. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. But this is amazingly otherworldly, lyrically, sonically, just Prince's voice, piano, and that heartbeat style kick drum. It's sublime. The Sheila E version, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's unmemorable. And when you hear how stark this version is, it just commands you to stop everything you're doing and pay attention. Like Prince's vocal delivery is stellar. So much so... This should be nominated for Best Vocal Performance at the next Grammys. Like Prince should receive a posthumous Grammy for this. It's amazing, this track. Like if I was Sheila E listening to this as your guide vocal, (laughs) I'd be so intimidated by this. (laughs) Who's your guide vocal, Sheila? (laughs) But I play the drums. (laughs) I was looking for some drums and and there was just a microphone. (laughs) You know the thing I think. With, I mean, the thing with Sheila's version is like her vocal is fine. It's it's not Prince's yeah. vocal, but she, nothing, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But it. the version on Sheila's album, it's a lot more busy. It's got this like click clack castanet percussion thing. It's got yeah, the, the, it's got the big it's got fat like a bossa nova thing. Yeah. yeah, like I think if Sheila's version didn't have all that other stuff and it was just the you know the piano and the drum and the and her vocal. On Prince's version, because it's so bare bones, you just go straight to that vocal because that's all there is there to hear. But because mm. I think Sheila's version is like busy, you don't really, it seems a lot more, uh, I don't know. This It just seems like they've put stuff yeah, in there to fill the track. On. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's so, like with most of the songs up until this point, it's very similar. Like Sex Shooter is very similar and Jungle Love is very similar. But then when you get to this, it's so different to the Sheila version and... It's just amazing. Like, it, it's so good. It's really good. This is one of my favourite tracks on this compilation. I'm really glad they put it on there. I'm really glad they didn't 
you know, make it like the Sheila E version. They've just kept it oh, as this. Imagine if they Frankenstein this one with Sheila's version mm, with everything else. Oh, nah, what a killed it. No, 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 no. This is this is a, this has that piano and mic vibe, mm, and definitely, it's it's great. It's great. It's really good. This could Love have it. been on piano and mic eighty three. What are they doing? Mm, no, That's a good point. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it would have killed everything on that album. <laughs> it's similar to, you know, he released two versions of You're Gonna See Me, one of them on the One Night Alone yeah. piano version and then another one on piano, um, yeah. Minneapolis Sound. And, again, the piano the piano version just smokes the um, produced, you know, version and it's the same with this song. Yeah, it's hard to argue with players resounding yes to this track because this is a beautiful, almost otherworldly vocal performance accompanied by piano and that percussive effect in the background. To me, that percussive effect, even though it is, I think, castanets or whatever it is, it kind of reminds me of and is reminiscent or similar to the sounds used in the song Way Back Home from Artificial Age. I don't know if anyone else is hearing that. No. (laughs) If you that... That is really, really similar in its rhythm and its tone and all the rest of it. Uh, in fact, if you play those songs back to back, you'll probably get a better sense for it. But, you know, those castanets are also, and percussion, I should say, also present on Sheila E's version, but to a larger degree, obviously. This is much more sparse. It's a pretty haunting ballad. Um, when I first heard it, Like Player took me back to the State Theatre in Sydney, where Prince performed a slowed down, and I have to say, quite eerie version that yeah, night. It was eerie, yeah. It was, I just remember I can't that. put my finger on what it was. I remember that he was playing it for a bit and we were all looking at each other and I remember looking at Captain, I can't remember who realised it first. We were both at the same time like, holy shit, it's Noon Rendezvous. It's like, hey, where did that come from? Yeah. That wouldn't cool have been moment. me. I wouldn't have had a clue. <laughs> it was such a <laughs> random song to pull out. I wouldn't have guessed it. <laughs> it was. It was super random. I don't know where it came from, some part of his brain. And he only played it, played it on the piano on my tour. I think he only played it like three or four times and that's it. Like Australia yeah. and New Zealand, he didn't play it anywhere else. So this is undoubtedly one of the massive highlights on this set. As you guys already said, you can't Frankenstein this, clearly. It is n- not necessarily, I don't know if this is, it sounds like it's done in one take, but what we do know is I think it was a five or a six hour recording session, uh, just Prince in the building with, uh, with the engineer. And... Yeah, it's fantastic. What more can I say? The one thing I will say, as a comparison to the version of this on Sheila's album, there's way more drum programming. It's busy, as you guys have said. But I do feel that the, as much as I love this, the underlying synth notes do add something to Sheila E's version. And her vocals are mm. also, they, they are actually great. I will say that because... You know, yeah, you just sort of get distracted by all the other stuff. But if you just that's true, go, yeah. go into her vocals... They're, they're good, they're fine, but it's just there's are, all this other really. stuff and it all just sort of blends in then. Yeah, they are really good and they are two very different productions of the same song. The other thing that is interesting about this track is it's a collaboration between, we don't know to what extent, but it's allegedly a collaboration between Prince and Sheila because the story goes that they were talking about writing a song of this sort and again the story goes that Sheila in conversation with Prince played him a a ballad that she was working on at the time which allegedly sounded very similar to this included castanets etc and that may have been the inspiration for what we're listening to here but yeah the, the version on her album it's similar but again entirely different this is majestic 
it's just a great studio moment from Prince. And uh, it's more emotional. This is the, the thing about what the, makes this stunning to me, and again, to player's point, is the emotion just comes out. It's like it has this resonance and impact. Sheila sounds more like an album track and a bit of a jam, but this is like quiet nights in the studio, you know? And because it doesn't have those bells and whistles, as Captain said, it could be the definitive version of this track for me, I think, now. So um, with that, let's go to Captain. What are your thoughts? No one's mentioned the 83 rehearsal version of Nude Rendezvous yet, which <gasps> most people say is the version. But anyway, like the song we itself. for you. Yeah. Like we haven't reviewed <laughs> Sheila's album yet, so we'll, I'm not going to talk too much about the song itself because we'll get to that. But like, yeah, the differences between Sheila's version, that 83 rehearsal version, which most people know, and then this version, like everyone said, like the piano and mic version that he did, piano and a microphone. Like a lot of songs on that tour, you're like, oh, he's playing this song. Like, you know, this is the piano version of the song. But then you listen to this and you're like, mm. no, that he's singing, this yeah. is the version. <laughs> this is what it yeah, is. exactly. Yeah. Everything else was a different version. This is the version that he was playing on that tour. So that's crazy <laughs> that we got to even see that. And like I said, he only played it at a few shows. So we were lucky to see that. And like that piano and mic version was the most, uh, what's the word, faithful to this one. And yeah, this is, uh, I don't know if I'm going to say it's, a highlight of the album. It's really good, but it's not in my top three. It might just get in the top five, though. But Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're getting to Kenny. Calm down. <laughs> Calm the farm. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. Let's uh, keep the train rolling. Track number five, Make Up. Make Okay, I reckon we can review this in the length of the actual song itself. All right. <laughs> I mean, Captain, you're on the mic. Okay, let's go. We reviewed this song on our Vanity 6 album review, so not that much to say about the song itself. This song suffers from something a few other tracks on this album also, and that's the volume of Prince's vocal. Again, I don't know if that's because of the new mix that they've done and, and the reverb as well as a lot of reverb, which I think yeah, they might have yeah, used yeah. to cover up any possible issues with the recording but you know i never thought much of this song on the vanity six album and it's just the same here it's just it's nothing it's nothing this is this is the most skippable track on this album to me like <laughs> i've been seeing i've been seeing some comments online they're like you could play this to some like um sub a dj now and they'd think it was like a brand new track i'm like really i don't think so <laughs> i do not think so even if I'd never heard this before, I'm going to be like, what is this early 80s weird thing? I'm not going to be like, oh, is this brand new? No, not happening. The end. Ooh, okay. That was nice and quick. Uh, player, what are your thoughts on this? Okay, when I saw the track listing before this got released and I saw makeup was on here, the first thing I thought was... Why? Really? <laughs> makeup? Out of all the tracks you have to work with from the vault, you're going to put uh. makeup on this? Are I wasn't going to bring this up, That's, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So going into this album, I wasn't excited for this at all. And we've discussed this track in depth in our Vanity Six album review. But here's the thing. Once I heard it on here, I was kind of enjoying it. I think it's a fun track. <laughs> and it has some cutting edge new wave on there. And to me, that synth groove... Uh, that te that's the template blueprint to I Would Die For You, 
the the mm-hmm. start of that. Like it's it's like you know he took that and kind of slowed it down slightly and just you know built a built I would die for you on that. I actually don't mind this, but having said that, I could do without it here in favour for something else instead, if given the choice. But in listening to it, you know, I'll you know, I don't skip it. I'll I'll listen to it. I think it's a fun track. So, hmm. but not my choice. Not my choice. If, if I was going to, if I had a choice, I, I'd put something uh, on there. Yeah. If I was going to resequence this album, <laughs> I'm not saying yeah. anything. <laughs> but I will talk about this track for just for a couple of minutes. Player speaks about how this could have inspired, you know, the pattern, the rhythmic pattern and synth pattern for a I Would Die For You, which I agree, very close link there. But I think Prince possibly consciously or unconsciously seems to have stolen this riff to some degree from uh, Donna Summer's I Feel Love. I don't know if anyone else hears that, but it's a very similar yeah. kind of uh, situation. Giorgio Ma, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Giorgio yeah. Moroder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shout out to him. He's done some good classic pop, I'll tell you that. Yes, he has. Okay, it's a skipper track in the sense that there's really not a whole lot going on and the version on the Vanity 6 album is, I think we actually said in our review, someone said it's barely a song. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, it probably would have been me. Hey, isn't there a song on been. that album called So Dull or something? That's what describes so this dull, song yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, makeup is so dull. So I agree that it is barely just... It's barely a song because it's just a groove and it's got this repeating motif of the words, you know, make up over the top, uh, this time sung by Prince because it's his original. Uh, and it, this, again, sounds like an original. There's really not that much going on for it to be a Frankenstein. But <laughs> for me, the, the audio, the thing about the DJ comment that Captain made, you know, if you give this to a DJ in 2019, I think people are saying that because of how bloody awesome it sounds. And, and what I mean by that is not the music, just the audio quality. This might be one of the best production-wise, one of the best sound-sounding uh, tracks on here. Very full bass and drum sound. It's hard to believe that this is actually a song from 1982. I think in that sense, it does sound incredibly current from a production value perspective. And I don't know how... He was how ahead of his time. That's he must have been. But if you listen to the production of some of the stuff on this and you compare it to the 1999 album... This seems to have more sheen, more punch, more dynamic edge. So I don't know how they've done that, what the tape was like. or what, Anyway, let's not go down that whole rabbit hole again. But it, <laughs> all I'm saying is it sounds good. That It's reminiscent of something by The Tubes or Gary Newman. I think... I keep seeing people bring up Devo. There you go. Yeah. I, I think it's more a Gary Newman type of thing, but it could be a, a Devo uh, situation too. It's really only an idea, and that's the thing. I, I, I kind of am with player. I'm like, even though I didn't see this on the track listing because I was avoiding it prior to hearing the album, I was like, what the hell is this? Why is it? Why is this on here? And, and really, oh. it's the baseline. The baseline is freaking awesome. Yeah. Well, the thing is, when this, when I first heard it, I didn't recognize it until the words makeup came up. I'm like, oh, it's that Vanity Six song because the baseline is because. <laughs> The bass line is freaking awesome. That programming is is just bloody brilliant. But as brilliant as it is and as good as it sounds from an audio quality perspective, for me it's not good enough to save the track. So it's kind of forgettable. Uh, I actually prefer the performance of the Vanity 6 song because I do much rather this being sung by a girl and female voices rather than Prince. Um, really? 
I think I think <laughs> I think I want to wear my camisole. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Prince yeah, did some freaky stuff. Yeah. You don't know what he got up to. That's true. <laughs> Look, the yeah, thing about this song true. is it's a three and a half second riff repeated for mm, for two and a half, half minutes. minutes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. and then he just says random yeah. words. That's not a song. I mean, come on. It's not. It's it's not a song. I can't even it, say it's just a song. It's not even a song. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's barely a whatever, song. For, as barely of a song that it is, it is the second track of the Rob Best resequence of this album, and I'm not going to give any more away <laughs> um, on this show, but... <laughs> I will finish my thoughts by saying this. There's a short, weird, high-pitched synth line in this track in the background Yeah, that mm. I don't hear on the original Vanity 6 performance and it reminds me of a very similar synth line in a certain little song called Strange But True. So Toe Jam, uh-huh. if he didn't make the connection, is going to dig that, I'm sure. And those are my final thoughts and uh, off we go to Toe Jam. I can't remember what I... I remember I really liked the song when we did the album review. And I think I did make the connection with I Would Die For You, which then naturally leads into the Strange But True. Because to me, I've always seen those... Like Strange But True is, is an evolution of I Would Die For You. It's got that, you know, that semi-quaver, and then it's got this big beat on beat one, big snare on two, and then another big beat on three, and then nothing on four. And this, this has that same effect, same with I Would Die For You, same with Makeup. So that's, it's all there. That, that, and there's another song on the Emancipation album that has the same sort of effect. New World is another one. So they're, they're uh, like four songs that are kind of related. I really like makeup. I always have liked it. And I, I, talked, I talked about this in the... <laughs> what about the song, Toby? The song. Come on, get back to the album. We're recording a show here, you know. Oh, sorry. I thought you looked different today. <laughs> no, I think if you forget about it as a song. Think of it as, as like, a, it's a, it's like a poem piece or something. It's, it's a moment. It's... You know, someone, yeah. you know, someone sitting at their word. dressing room. <laughs> yeah, spoken word. Think of it like that rather than a song, you know, and it makes much more sense. You know, you've got this, the play on the word makeup. Yes, makeup is the thing she's putting on her face, but it's also this, you know, making up, like she's making up a life kind of thing. The only difference that I could really hear, other than Prince's vocal, is that there's a bit less reverb on, on the bass and the beat compared to the Vanity Six version. When I, when I listen back to it, I think, oh, that's a bit more polished. It's got a bit more reverb on those you know, bass and drums and that kind of thing. And also I think when those claps come in, I'm pretty sure they only come in, like when they come in um, on this version, they're on two and four straight up, one, two, three, four. Whereas in the Vanity Six version, they're, they're on four and then sometimes they're two and four, they, they sort of play around a bit more as well. So I'm not, it's not one's better or worse, just it's a different kind of feel when that happens, when those claps come in. I really love those airy synths going on in the background too. They're sort of bending in and out of tune. Again, a similar thing happens in Strange But True, as we were saying. It's almost got like almost an Arabic kind of feel to it. I think it's just a really good, interesting sonic piece. And maybe the bass line does get a bit repetitive, but it is, it's an interesting couple of minutes. And I really love listening to it. I always crank it up when it comes on as well. I like my makeup thick. <laughs> Back to the song, Jam. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, so, you know, Captain was saying he skips this one. For me, I skip to track four and I, I start the album at track four and then go to makeup as the follow-up. You're not resequencing this album, are you, Jam? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not resequencing. I'm, I'm re... <laughs> What would you call it? Like turning the clock or something. You're starting at track four. How dare you? <laughs> the cuckoo clock. Okay. Mm. Um, I think that just about does it for makeup. Now, oh, that's I the end so. of side one, ladies and gentlemen. Let's flip the record over and go to side two for all you vinyl lovers there, out there. Uh, you know I'm talking to you. Okay, no, but seriously, folks, track number six 
on the CD and digital version is of course called 100 MPH. What? 100 miles per hour. Take it away, Captain. Okay, Maserati, you've heard the official Maserati version, and there's also a few other versions out there with Prince on vocals. Correct. But to me, mm. like on this album, this is probably the second worst sounding sound, you know, quality wise on this whole disc. It's not the worst, yep. it's second worst. Like, as cool as it is to hear this version, it's a cool song, but. Again, so many other tracks they could have chosen from which were in good quality. Like they could have easily put that and nobody would have even questioned it because they wouldn't have known that this song was even possibly going to be on here. This does seem to be edited from circulating versions that are out there. So that's weird. But again, moving on. (laughs) There's something in this track which reminds me of Feel You Up. I'm not sure if what it is. I think it might just be like the, mm. the phrasing of some of the lyrics or something. Yeah. It's just something. There's some part every time it comes in the song, I start going, uh, feel you up. It's like, no, that's not this song. But it's, so it's something is very similar. Interestingly, on this version, again, like on uh, Manic Monday, how that piano did that little thing which I talked about. On this version, there's a funky clav sound on this, which is not on any other version, not on the other demos, not on the official Maserati version. And it's really cool. I don't hear it anywhere else. Uh, you got the big start. Oh, that was Michael oh, Howe. He, he, he um, recorded mm-hmm. that. He subbed that in. So I'm sure he did. He added it on. He had to do it. <laughs> Mr. Frankenstein himself. He's a very himself. creative, you know. One of the great uh, composers <laughs> and arrangers of our time. Michael Frankenstein Howe. That's his new name. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it here first. <laughs> but yeah, your big start, all the guitars going off, and then just out of that just comes this kick drum, and you're just like, oh, here we go. You know, it's going to be good. Because I hadn't listened to this song in forever, and when I played it, I barely even remembered it because I just, Maserati's not something I ever listened to, and I'm listening to it, I'm like, oh, this is not bad. It's a funky thing. And like, I'm not going to list every single one, but there's a million just funky little guitar bits all over this track. Like they're everywhere. Like almost every line, there's just some little, it's just always something like everywhere. And so just listen to the guitars in this song. Don't worry about Prince's vocal, Mm. which sounds awful. Just listen to the guitars. That's what this song's about for me. Um, But yeah, this is a good song. Not the best quality. They could have easily swapped this out for something else and we never would have known. But what are you going to do? The end. All right. Very interesting. Uh, Toe Jam. Uh, so we haven't reviewed this song. So I'm sort of reviewing the song as well. I like the song. It's funky. I really like the... Uh, dun, 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 dun. Like I like the way they stab yeah. in. It's kind of, and then he does the verse over that line, like which would normally just be like a, oh, that's a hooky little line. And then he sings the verse going... That's kind of cool. I'm not a big fan of the intro and the ending, that big guitar heavy. I don't know, it just kind of annoys me. I like the groove when it gets into the funky stuff. Um, in the chorus, you've got this sort of contrary motion going on when you've got the bass doing the going up and while the vocals and the synths are kind of you know descending down. So that's kind of contrary motion. There you go. Uh, like Captain said, there's heaps of little cool distorted guitar bits and bobs during all the verses just in the background. The bass, even though it's not slapped or octaved, I can really imagine Larry Graham playing this bass line as well, especially the, the lead up into the chorus. Ah, yeah. Very Larry. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, again, like a lot of these songs, this version, it's less 
produced and it is a bit demo-y and in some ways it captures more of the energy than I think the actual Maserati version did. There's something about that Maserati version. I just never quite captured me. There's something something lacking in it. And I think that is maybe here. I don't know. It's hard to say, but I just, I feel like maybe it's the quality as well. Maybe because the quality is a bit crunchier, you kind of feel a bit more, you know, like you're behind the curtain. So mm. therefore your brain kind of makes it sound funkier than Maserati it Maserati version is too clean. <laughs> yeah, there's something out about it. It's too, it's too clean. It doesn't sound a, like a bootleg. That's why we don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a funky song. It's, it's classic Prince, you know, circa 85, I guess. It sort of has that high fashion, not in terms of the song, but just that, that oh, Prince yeah. doing the high fashion kind of thing. I, you know, when, mm. I, when I hear this, I, I see the Under the Cherry Moon movie and that kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a good funky song, worthy inclusion. I don't know if it was a hit or not. I don't think this really charted or anything, did it, when it was released? I don't know. I just don't like the beginning and the ending. I just find, and especially the outro, it just seems like such a, you know, a wasted opportunity for an outro. It's like, oh, here's the beginning again. <laughs> anyway, that's my review of 100 miles per hour. It's good. It's funky. It's kind of dark. It's good. I wasn't going to list any guitar parts, but there's a cool little, uh, like 58, 59 seconds, one minute. There's this cool little harmonic things he does, which is nice. So there's what there's just one. That's all. <laughs> okay. So Toe Jam talks about not liking that orchestral bit. I don't know whether I like it or I don't actually. I'm a little bit on the fence about that part, but I'd, I'd love to know where that's from because it sounds to me like Prince took that from some other project and I wouldn't be surprised if it was from something that didn't make the family album. Mm. Some now, other unreleased speaking, track which we haven't heard. Exactly. Now, speaking of the family album, I can hear Saint Paul, Mr. St. Paul Peterson all over this song Yeah. in the sense that if he had been given this track, I reckon he, he would have ran with it and turned it into something pretty funky as well. Now, it, it is funky, but what I'm getting at is this could have very easily fit on the family album, but it took a turn and, and obviously uh, it was given him to Maserati, who allegedly didn't do much on this track. The version on their album is different. I mean, this original's version is much shorter than the much longer version found on Maserati's record, which also has some cool breakdowns and some really nice acoustic guitar embellishments. But going back to this original's version, uh, there's just something he was doing around this time, you know, 84, 85, that was on another plane and in, on another planet. Because that funky off-kilter groove, that walking bass line, the whimsical keyboard lines doubled up and, and put together in a really unique way. He's got this really unique singing pattern again, the stop-start stabs that ToeJam mentioned. It's kind of like delay. That did it. It's like a, he just plays with space really well, as we've said over the years. Mm, uh, yeah. For me, this is a this is one of the biggest highlights as well. With Noon Rendezvous so far and this coming in in the first half of the album, these are the two big ones for me so far. This is a song that you cannot not dance to. Like the funk face appears really early on with this one. Watch me. It's a <laughs> it's a freaking heck of a groove. Some sinister descending synth parts during the chorus. Definitely check those out. This sounds like something that would have actually not only fit really well on the family album, but wait for it, folks. Yes, I'm about to say this. I think this track in an updated late 80s version would have fit perfectly on the Batman soundtrack Ooh. because I think it has that really whimsical feel, a kind of wild but yet sinister vibe, both in the groove and in the lyrics. So would that bring Batman up more than a 4 out of 10? 
to, to 4.5. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe a 5 out of 10. With 100 miles per hour, the Batman soundtrack Ooh. goes to a 5 out of 10. But I, I can imagine Jack Nicholson and his, and his band of his troupe uh, in that classic, classic scene just dancing to this as well, you know, so hmm. uh, in the movie version. But, yeah, I mean, this is just filthy funky and Prince is really on a roll at this point just churning out ridiculously funky music. That's what more can you say? Player, take it away. Ooh, where do I start with this? Do I go down a rabbit hole with this one? <laughs> um, so just about, just a bit about me. I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. I go for bike rides as a form of exercise and mostly meditation where, you know, you can be at one with your thoughts and play music and, and all that sort of stuff. So I'm riding my bike. i got tidal running and I get to this track and let me tell you, I nearly rode my bike off the road into oncoming traffic when I heard that overdub guitar in the right channel in the first chorus. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is this? Is that even Prince? Because that part just seems so out of place. It just sticks out like dog's balls. It's that noticeable. <laughs> And I've heard various bootleg versions of this track and they're all different, but not like this. And also that vocal is mixed way, way, way in the background with the truckload of reverb. reverb. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking surely if you're going to tinker with these tracks, at least select the parts of the track with the most clarity. Because I've heard the bootlegs of this song where the vocal is even more upfront in the mix. So I don't know why... They've got this on here with the vocal way, way down. So maybe this is the original version player and they didn't want to tinker with it. Uh, get I'm out. All... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the song positive, I, I love the melody in the verses, that what you've already explained. That dun, 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 dun. And the grandiose intro, I, I dig that. He was really good at throwing those into songs. I love the way the song plods along, but that's all it does. It just plods along. It's funky and all, and I'll listen to it and I won't skip it, but it's no means my favourite track. So if I'd never heard this again, I wouldn't be cut. <gasps> wow. I was listening mm. to it today and I was just thinking there's something George Clinton-esque about this track and I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I hear a vocal, Cinderella everything theory. is on the one, and mm. I'm like, oh, come on. Uh, Come on. There you go. And I'm like, there you go. That's what it was. Whether it was subconscious or not, I don't know. But I heard that and I'm like, oh, that's what it was. Anyway, that's all. And ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to Kenny. Here track. we come. <laughs> Let's move on to track number seven, the moment you've all been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> Strap yourself in. Yeah. Track number seven, You're My Love. Kenny Rogers, but wait a minute. This is the Prince Originals version. Ooh, I'm struggling to think of who should take the microphone first for this one. <laughs> I can hear some laughter in the background, crickets chirping. Okay, um, hmm. I'll take it. Oh, oh, I was going to say, Captain, but Toe Jam, you, you beat him to it. He's that's, raised his hand. Everyone wants Kenny. That's because, Raise your right hand, Toe Jam. That's because bloody Take Captain says everything and there's nothing left to say. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's your opportunity. You've got the podium. I won't say everything. First thing I notice, it's in a slightly different key to Kenny Rogers' one. Yeah, I think it's a, a semitone lower or possibly the version of the Kenny Rogers that I have. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know. But I did notice that. Uh, it sounds like it's late 70s, early 80s to me. I'm not sure when it's officially recorded, yeah. but it, it definitely has that for you Prince kind of sound to yep. it. Um, yep. I said here yep. that it sounds like 
<laughs> I said it sounds like a Bria Valente song. Like I can imagine what <laughs> <laughs> I can actually imagine this. Obviously, you know, a 2009 sounding produced song on the Bria Valente. I think it would fit seamlessly with some of those songs. Like it's that mid tempo ballad, oh, and wow. it's got that beat that's all through she that. She had all my, she had all my love. So maybe that's why you're thinking about that. Ooh. Yeah, there's a song on there that's like a similar tempo. No, no, no sorry, all this love, all this love. Yeah, sorry. I'm trying to think of the name. Of, I can't remember the name of those Bria Valente songs, but there was one that was like a similar tempo. No, no, it's All This Love. No, no, it's not that one. It's not that one. That's oh, a bit faster. Uh, anyway, so it sounds to me like that kind of Bria Valente kind of thing. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of chords in this. It ch- seems to change chords a lot. Like every two seconds it's changing chords. Yeah. Maybe a little too much where there's a, maybe a little bit too much going on like in the chords. Having said that, there are some interesting kind of substitutions going on where he does like flat two chord instead of a five and he does a little like a sharp four major chord leading into a four major chord. Mm. So like little interesting things like that. But there are a lot of chords. The bridge has the crazy U chords, like similar chords to the song Crazy U. Yeah, it does, yeah. I like that sort of tinkling music box stuff that he had, that he was doing, especially when he, when he does it in the background verses. Like, because obviously it comes up when the choruses come on, you know, bing, 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 bing. But then sometimes in the verse, it'll start just in the background, it'll start doing this ding, 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 ding. You think, oh, that's kind of cool. Interesting effects and things. But I've got to say, it's pretty forgettable, really. It's pretty forgettable. Prince's vocal is, I don't know whether, how serious he's taking himself. Like sometimes I think he's just young and a bit fresh and he's trying too hard. And then other times I think he's just taking the piss out of kind of love ballads. And I'm not sure which it is because <laughs> that, that part in the middle where he just goes over the top and it's like you almost start laughing and, and you don't know if you're laughing what, with him. that part that I quoted in the intro That's possibly? the bit. That's the bit. And one of the, one of the ones where he goes, do for – it's like he really hits that word do and, and you think – you start laughing, giggling and you think, am I laughing with him <laughs> or at him? I'm not sure. Like, <laughs> so i got to say I think Kenny Rogers – I had to listen to Kenny Rogers' version just before and I think the production on that is actually really smooth and clear. And it is, yeah. It's, it's smooth. It's actually man. like – Smooth 80s. I'm getting old but I'm like – it's a nice song. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean... Oh, Toe Jam, you, you remind me of um, Glenn Robbins, the way you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm getting old, but oh, it's a, it's a nice song. <laughs> All right, so I'll, I'll save some for Captain, but I'll just say that from the point of view of the Prince Historian, this is very, very interesting because there is no way on earth that I ever expected to hear this. Mm-hmm. That said, yeah. it is a very skippable song and a very skippable track in terms of the context of this <laughs> album. But from a historian's point of view, it's fascinating. So that, that's my review. It is, yeah. Oh, I've got to agree with you there because when I first heard Prince's vocal on this, I couldn't believe it was actually him. Like yeah. I was laughing my ass off. Obviously, the parts that you pointed out, but the register that he's singing in, even though it is in kind of the, that mid, lower to mid range, he sounds like a cross between Luther Vandross and Michael McDonald or something. I don't know. <laughs> Michael McDonald, yeah. It's, I don't know what's going on. It's like some croony, like lounge singer or something. It's just, what's going yeah. on? <laughs> kind of like, I don't know, someone like Kenny Rogers, for example. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, what this does do, to Toe Jam's point about this being, what did you say, an archive? 
Well, from the point of view... What did you say? You said... From the point of view of being a prince historian, looking back on it... That's it. Not necessarily for the the enjoyment of the song, but just looking at it from what was Prince doing at a certain age and what what was the sounds he was putting together and that kind of thing. So from that prince historian perspective, it shows you just how versatile a vocalist he was. You know, Lenny (laughs) Lenny Clannett's... Lenny Kravitz... (laughs) 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 Love you, baby, love you, baby, love you, baby. Lenny Kravitz once said that Prince's... Lenny Kravitz once said that Prince's vocals appear limitless, like he just has no limit. And this is a great example of that because it's refreshing to hear him sing in his... closer to his normal register, but he's really hamming it up because those parts between 3.30 and 3.40... (laughs) where it does sound almost comical. I was actually cracking up. My ribs were hurting during that part. Uh, they were busting out my sides. But I, think Prince's, I think Prince's ribs were hurting too. Do <laughs> <laughs> for you. That's why he had them removed. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, here we go. Here come the Marilyn Manson references. Yeah, that's doing the rounds again. What a surprise. As for the song itself, it's basically a middle-of-the-road ballad a la something like one in a million you. <laughs> yes. It just sounds like one of those. And speaking of middle yeah. of the road, here's Kenny Rogers. In saying that, Kenny's vocal performance to me is better. It's more polished. And for some reason, I'm not going to go as far as Jam and say I kind of like it, but uh, <laughs> did it's I go, more appropriate. Did I do Kenny's, I'm not sure. <laughs> I might be putting words in your mouth. It's more appropriate for the music than Prince's guide vocal. And I think that's all Prince's guide vocal is. It's just really a rough demo, like a sketch. At the end of the day, just like makeup, this is also kind of fruitless and forgettable to me. However, I will say this, my mind works just like all of our minds works in unique ways. I think in some non-existent parallel universe, I could envisage a band or a group like Earth, Wind and Fire taking the bare bones of a track like this and turning it, actually turning it into something magical, like a, like a massive soul ballad hit. Now, that didn't happen, but I could imagine, like if you really crank the soul factor into this and you put a bit of oomph into it, I'm thinking Teddy Pendergrass, you could, you, you could have a hit on your hands, but um, that didn't happen. Uh, I'm going to hand it over to uh, Player. I think the most surprising for me on this track is Prince's vocal. He opens this up with such a deep register. It's like the deepest. Is this the deepest we've ever heard Prince? I can't even think of another example. <laughs> I mean, forget Kenny Rogers. This is destined Ooh. for Larry Graham kind of track. <laughs> even Larry turned it down. Do you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was too deep for Larry. <laughs> Do you love your mother? <laughs> The lyrics and delivery has that naivety of his first two albums, ballads, and the sound has that dirty mind type of sound with that twangy guitar and the drums with that really flat sound. So for me, this sits sonically between his second and third albums, like Hmm. around 79, 80. I'm not a fan of this track by any means, but it just displays the guy's diversity to give this to a country artist, which I can appreciate. I also appreciate his vocal range on this. It's crazy how it just kind of goes everywhere. Kenny's version is a bit more sparkly with some of those 80 sounding keyboards on it, but it's not one of his memorable ballad standards, uh, you know, that we all often speak of with Prince, you know, those big ballads that he's known for. So 
I can see why this was one of those giveaway ones. So it is an odd, it, it is odd. You know, Prince's great ballads, like often there's just like three, maybe four chords, you know, and he just milks them. Mm. And this one is just like, it's just changing yeah. all the time. And it's like, ah, oh, it's just time, slow yeah. down, you know, too many chords. <laughs> yeah. In that sense, it's like a bit of a mess because it kind of just goes everywhere. It's mm. like, keep it in the pocket. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's not, it's not a, a memorable Kenny song either. I mean, Kenny's mm. known for, you know, the gambler and islands in the stream and everything else. And, you know, he's yeah. not known for this one. So, yeah. Anyway, take it away, Captain. Okay, Captain, tell us where we're, we've all gone wrong. Oh, yeah. well, it's good I went last because everyone said it all now, so I don't have to say too much. But, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, the weird thing is it's this is recorded in 82. And, yeah, he's the, oh, way, wow. the way he's singing it is unlike we normally hear him singing. But it does sound like a young prince. I think Toe Jam said it. He sounds like this didn't come out for Kenny till 86, yeah. But Prince recorded this in 82, these vocals, and it sounds like a young Prince. But, yeah, I mean, 82, you know, he's done controversy and he's into 1999. This doesn't sound like anything on 1999. This sounds like it's off the second, like the Prince album, the second album. That's what it sounds like. I mean, especially the music. Just listen to the music and then you've got his vocal. It's just, it's, it's a young Prince, as I said. It's so, like, that early stuff, which I'm not a big fan of. And it sounds like that. But yeah, the singing is just mental. I think almost everyone will agree, whether you like this song or love this song or hate this song, it's definitely one of the weirdest experiences you've had listening to a Prince song. It's just so yes. bizarre to hear him do this yeah. sort of thing. It's so unlike anything else he's ever done. It's just very strange. Well, you know, Captain, he did say, I didn't always give a warn as my best material. Exactly. He gave it to Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> but Kenny's version, yeah, it's got more of that 80s sparkly sound, which I do like. And I think I even do like, I like Kenny's version more than this one. This one is just, a, it's just too weird, I think. It's just so different from anything we've heard. Like, I don't skip it. I listen to it every time I play the album. And every time, it's just, love you, man. Love you, man. <laughs> it's just good every time I hear it. It's just, it's classic. Yeah, I don't, have, I don't have any more to say about it. It's just, yeah, one of the weirdest songs we've ever heard from him. And it, it, it took this release to get it. So I don't know what that says, but anyway, moving on. Yeah, the one... The one thing I will say, I mean, or two things I will say quickly off the back of your comments, because you got me thinking about, about these two aspects of not only this song, but this album. The first thing is this more than any song we've spoken about so far, at least for me, if I had to bet some money on it, I would say Prince. Now, I really, I know it's a dangerous thing that I'm about to do, opening up this can of worms, <laughs> but I really would struggle to to see a situation where he would want this version come coming out. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like the, Don't start Hitting this. the mass public. Because, because yeah. and I only say that, not that I want to open up a can of words, <laughs> but there's nothing embarrassing about the first six songs we've spoken about. They've all got pluses and minuses, but I think it adds to his legacy. But... <laughs> I mean, this one is just like... it's. I wouldn't a, say it's embarrassing, it's though. Just an example of something that should have probably stayed in the vault, I think. But, you know, the point of this release, according to, I think it was Michael Howe or somebody else who was talking, was to show his range and diversity and blah, blah, blah. This definitely does that. Yeah. This does that by far. That is a good point. It does that. 
It does do that. And that was the point, to show the public, you know, look at all these songs, different styles, different things that he gave to different people or over different years. So in that thinking, it fits perfectly. I Even, guess it, yeah, it, yeah, you're right, actually. It does fit perfectly and it does actually extend his legacy in the sense that it shows people that, yes, he could also do middle-of-the-road pop, basically. And thank God he didn't do it very often. <laughs> Correct, but he could. <laughs> he could. That's the thing. I, I guess in a really weird way, even though this wasn't where I was going with this, but based on your most recent comment, in a very weird way, putting a song like this on this album shows you that even in his sleep without, I don't think he would have... Sp- you know, laboured too much over this, he could still put out stuff that other artists were probably labouring over in the studio. Mm. That just shows you... And he just throws talent. this out there as a joke. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> imagine if this... Imagine if it was... Imagine if this was his idea of a joke. Imagine if, you know, he read some article, you know, talking about Dirty Mind or Controversy going, oh, he's doing all this weird stuff. Why can't he just do this middle-of-the-road nice stuff that we all like? So he did this <laughs> as a total joke and then handed it off to somebody else. But gave it to someone else, yeah. yeah. That's his sense of humour. He knew one day he'll be gone, the vault's going to come out, <laughs> and this hilarious joke is going to be unleashed on the public. That's what I think happened. That's what, that's what yeah. I think. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's the long this, game. Yeah, that's, to, that's talking about the playing the long game there. Look at yeah, that. that. Yeah, that's pioneering. That's future. <laughs> 1982 future until now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Incredible foresight on the part of Prince. But the other thing I was going to say is that, uh, you know, we've spoken about uh, seven tracks so far. We're almost at the halfway mark. And I can only think of one, maybe two examples of tracks that we've discussed where the versions on this record are better, equal to or better than, quote unquote, different than the, the songs that were actually released by other artists. Maybe we'll cover that at the end. But, yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. And with that... You're not going to mention the goat? <laughs> <laughs> out of respect for Kenny and what I've recently learned about him, I will leave the goat out of this well, conversation. He's in hospital right now, so... Oh, is he? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Kenny's the goat. We're sending our good wishes to Kenny. Kenny yeah, is the goat. The greatest of all time. The goat. <laughs> yeah, we're sending our wishes to the goat and to Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> Track number eight, Holly Rock. Don't you wanna live a trip? Okay, let's talk about Holly Rock. Woo. I'm gonna hand the baton, the funk stick, over to oh. <laughs> Toe Jam. <laughs> You're hiding me the, the, the rock. The funky rock, the holy rock. Oh, my God, this is funky. I love this. Like, I kind of, I don't want to say I overlooked holy rock, but, man, did I overlook holy rock. Slept on. Slept on completely. And I think a lot of it has to do with the mix. Like, forget Prince's vocal and all that kind of thing, but the bass is just so much more pumping in this one compared to the uh, original Sheila E release. It's just a funk workout. It's just a classic mid-'80s, you know, Prince and the Revolution sort of leaning towards that, going from that Purple Rain sound towards that Dream Factory sort of sound, right smack bang in the middle there, and they just bash it out. It's so good. It's clearly written for Sheila E because, you know, Prince is saying, you know, my neighbor Sheila E. It's like, no, it's not. It's Prince. (laughs) Uh, You've got classic... 
80s Mixolydian kind of chords hanging in the background, you know, like stuff like 1999, Let's Go Crazy. I talk about this stuff all the time. That sort of hanging chords in the background using that Mixolydian sort of scaly stuff. Wow. The biggest thing for me in comparing the two versions, the big thing for me is the left speaker. What's mm. not in Sheila E's one that is in this one is this flange guitar just yes. in the left speaker. Just It's like, oh, my God, that stuff is so funky. And I'm thinking, how on earth did they not put that in in Sheila E's version? Yeah. And I think the reason they didn't is probably because in Sheila's version, there's a lot more percussion. You know, she's obviously yeah. a percussionist. And I think at some point it probably became a bit too messy and they thought, well, if something's got to go, it's got to be, you know, we've got to keep the percussion because it's Sheila E. So they probably dropped that. But, oh, my God, that stuff in that left speaker is just crazy all the way through. Hang on a second. Are you talking that really slow, like, phasing guitar or the fast, funky one? The flanging one. No, no, the flanging one, the one that's flanging Uh. and it's a bit distorted. There's also, yeah, you're right. I, I thought you'd talk more about this, but there's also another guitar in the right speaker that is yeah. in, but it's it's a lot, it's not always there and it's a lot further down in the mix. It's a lot more prominent in this one. Um, there's these like quaver synths in this one. Dun, 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 dun. Whereas in Sheila's version, it's just like a sustained note, like the same sound, but it's sustained. So that's kind of different as well. And a couple of little extra differences I noticed was when Prince calls out for Eddie's solo, nothing happens. And <laughs> then like four... I, I can answer that. I can answer well, that one. And then four or five bars later, he says yes. it again, Eddie, blow your horn, and it starts. Whereas if you listen to Sheila's version, Sheila says Eddie, and then the solo starts when it should start. And then, you know, later she's still saying Eddie, blow your horn, and it's part of the, you know, the solo's continuing. Whereas in, I don't know what's going on there. It's, it's, it's kind of weird. We'll, I got we'll a go theory. to play on that one. I got a theory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the bass at two minutes 37 it's just funky as all hell in that part. Because, you know, the bass most of the time is just playing that doom, 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 doom. And then at 2.37, it just does these weird, crazy lines. It is in Sheila E's version as well, but you can hear it much more prominently in this one. Obviously, it's, you know, it's a big Mixolydian jam, but then at four minutes, it kind of goes to these diminished, like, suspended chords, minor chords, and then it resolves to that major. And then, you know, I just love the background chorus, that holy rock. I can't sing. Jesus. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but that's just so he it's plays so trumpet, cool. It's so and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, it's so catchy that da, 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 you know, finishing on the two or the nine, so good. Da, 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 and then back on the one. <laughs> So good. Uh, I love the big turnaround at 508. And then when it goes to the big four chord and then Eddie's doing that. um, That's really great. Big breakdown at 532. You think the song's going to finish and it just drops right down. Bass and drums. Dun, 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 dun. It's like, oh, man, this is just so funky. So I've always liked Holly Rock. Don't get me wrong, but I totally slept on just how awesome it is. And I think this version, just the mix, the mix in this is so much better. And as much as I love Sheila E's percussion playing, man, that flange guitar, that fast-speeded guitars in the, in the right speaker, it's got a real Dream Factory song. I'd never really considered the song Dream Factory, but I hear it now and it's like, man, this is Dream Factory. It's uh, it's beautiful Prince 80s funk rock. Next. Wow. What an opening to, to the review of this track. Well, uh, I said it in, in Noon Rendezvous. I said there's one other track that really smokes. And to me, Noon Rendezvous and this one are the two highlights of the album. And both Sheila E Ooh. tracks. Well, songs on Sheila E albums. Interesting. Crazy. Yeah. And collaborations with Prince as well. So uh, I think she had she had some involvement in both of those final album releases. Uh, player, what are your thoughts on this one? This, of course, is from the Crush Groove movie and soundtrack, which is a favourite movie of mine, being a hip-hop movie. Hmm. I loved Holly Rock with uh, Sheila in it, and I love this on this album. Like, Toe Jam, this is a real highlight for me. 
when I hear this, like, first of all, I was really surprised that it was recorded at Sunset Sound because to me, it has that real live feel about it. I thought it was either recorded on the Purple Rain tour or... Um, warehouse. Or the warehouse. Yeah. Because it has that live sound about it. And also, too, he calls out a lot of people like Stefan stuff that is Sheila E's band. So to me, this isn't the revolution. This is like Prince working out Sheila's band, like, you know, running through the songs, I guess at that time, potentially they were going to go on tour. So yeah, I was surprised that it was recorded at Sunset Sound, but it, it does have that live sound about it. Now, going back to Sheila's band, the, the fascinating thing on this in the background, you've got those male chants, which is really cool because in a Prince song, you really rarely ever hear male chanting in a, in a song. And I believe, I think there was a document or an interview on Reddit with Michael Howe about how they found this track and they have no idea who is doing those background chants. Mm. But this is part of my theory. So on the song Yellow by Sheila E, there's five horn players, John, Steve, Ron, Dick, Robert and Tim. And they're the horns on yellow. I believe maybe that those guys are doing the background vocals on this. And I'll get to the reason why. <laughs> so at 3.17, Prince calls out Tom and Eddie. Oh, nice thinking. Good thinking. Because I was thinking, who the hell's Tom? No, but hang on. Get, get this, right? <laughs> Which is Sheila E's horn section, right? And they miss that cue, right? And I think they miss that cue because of the name, because there is no Tom. There's a Tim and there's a Ron. <laughs> so what happens is, what happens is Prince calls it. out Tom, Prince calls out Tom and they go, well, who's Tom? And like, I think I, this is, this is a scenario that plays in my head. Tim's looking at Ron and Ron's looking at Tim like, are you taking it or am I taking it? Because nothing happens when he calls out Tom and Eddie. And then, mm-hmm. so they don't know what to do with that section. And then by 2.23, you can hear Prince go, oh, like, they missed that. I'm going to have to call that one again. So at 3.25, Prince is more specific and he says, Eddie, blow your horn. And then you get the solo from Eddie M. That's <laughs> so that's how it plays out in my head when I, when I listen to this. <laughs> I hope that's, that, that's such a cool idea. Yeah. Because there's a Tim and there's a Ron, but there's a, not a Tom. <laughs> All right. We've we got to talk to Peggy McCreary or Susan Rogers or someone and get that sorted out. <laughs> Because I was just baffled as to why they missed that cue. And, that's, hmm. and then I'm looking at it, I'm piecing it together, I'm thinking, that's why, because there is no Tom in the band. Well, in anyway. Sheila's version, I think they might have fixed it up a bit, because in Sheila's version, obviously she yeah. doesn't say Tom. She just says Eddie straight away. Eddie starts the solo. Exactly. But then yeah. it goes for like, I don't know, a few bars, a few notes even. And then, then she says, Eddie, blow your horn again. And that's, that's where the solo starts on Prince's version. So whether that they've edited that little bit in to give it a bit of a lead in, I don't know, yeah. to get rid of the, that error. Interesting. That's right. Yeah. What else is in my notes? The flanger running through it. I've got that. The synth horn lead line is straight Minneapolis sound. It reminds me of the lead line in Lady Cab Driver. Yeah. You know how Lady Cab Driver goes, and this, like the horn, it's the same thing. It's it's the same sort of Minneapolis sound. So instead of it being played on a keyboard and guitar, it's, it's on a synth and horns. It's really good. This whole song reminds me similar jam to Baby I'm a Star, the way they did it on Purple Rain. Yeah. The, the rap that Prince does in this, which is feline, the feline rap, he included that rap in the Baby I'm a Star Purple Rain tour rehearsal. So, you know, it all kind of blends and mashes together. It's all connected. Um, it's all connected. As um, Tobjan said, it's clearly 
designed for Sheila E because he references her name. There's the toy box reference at 256 and at 539, which Mm. is interesting that um, he mentions it twice. And these two songs, Toy Box and Holly Rock, are separated by three or four months. So Toy Box was recorded in January and this was April. So I don't know why he he brought that up in the song. Maybe he was mixing it that day or something. Well, Holly Rock is not on any of Sheila's albums, but obviously Toy Box is. Just the soundtrack, yeah. Yeah, so... Possibly when he's recording this, he's thinking he's recording this for one of Sheila's albums and thinking, well, it'll be on the one that Toybox is on. Possible. Uh, After that uh, (laughs) faux pas with Eddie and Tom, um, (laughs) from that solo onwards, the whole band is going crazy, but it's like organized chaos. Like there's little Mm. drum fills and guitar squelches and all sorts of stuff going on, but they keep the groove intact. Around 4.45, 46, it's barely audible, but Prince yells out, can't fuck with that, which is similar <laughs> to the line he uses in It's Gonna Be in Beautiful Night. And then you got that high-pitched guitar at 544, and Prince mentioned Steph, which is Stefan Birenbaum. I hope I say his name correctly, which is the guitarist for Sheila E at the time. And I like the fact that he left in that, now try to dance to that in the mix, mm. which is a very Prince thing to do, and they could have easily cut that out, but they, I love that they left it in there. So that, I, um, I really, I, this, is, this song's really hot. I love it. I'll just say on those, um, that Minneapolis bit, da, 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 on Prince's version, I think it's on the left speaker, you can hear him playing along with that on the cymbal, and it's obviously, it sounds to me like it's Prince playing and not Sheila because it's not as perfectly timed and crisp, but he's just playing on the cymbal along with that and it is again I, th- I thought wow yeah. that, that's been taken out of Sheila's one but I listened back to Sheila's one it is there but it's just buried really low whereas in Prince's one again it's, it's much more prominent and they've obviously drawn all that stuff back I mean I'm, I'm sure it's probably put there originally like you know this is the kind of thing Sheila will do on this so you're saying that this is Sheila's band playing this song yeah, I believe so, because the fact that he references all those other the people in it. But he might have just been saying that so Sheila can copy those exact words as well. That's mm. what I was thinking. I was thinking oh, you could. Yeah. more along those lines, like what you said, Captain's like, he might not even know the names. He's just yelling it out for like whoever, just random names yeah. of people that might. Might be playing sex. And Sheila, this is where you call out for the sax solo to whoever that guy is, Eddie, or whoever's, whoever's yeah. there. I don't remember Sheila's band being this good. Maybe they were, but I don't know. Well, yeah, they're really on point. Yeah, <laughs> they're on fire. So. I mean, they it sounds as tight as peak revolution, but we know it's not the revolution, which is insane. It's, it's one guy. It's <laughs> <laughs> Sit down. It's all one guy. Is it come from Minneapolis? He lives but in see, Minneapolis. <laughs> <laughs> see, when, when the track opens up and I hear those bongos and stuff, I think of one like her brother Juan Escovito, who mm. Juan was in the Purple Rain tour. Hmm. He calls out Steph. He calls out these guys on the horn section. And so, like, when I'm listening to it, it sounds like he's performing with those guys. And, like, what I envision in my head, which may or may not be accurate, but I think of it as, and they've got that live sound, that Prince is running through it, like, live with those guys so that they know what they're doing when Sheila takes it on tour. But I could be wrong on that. So to to that point, let me just throw something out here. This is a complete hypothetical and it just came to me now. Is there any possibility that aside from Sheila's percussion of vocals and uh, Eddie M's sax contribution, that this is a one-man band performance? I thought it just was. Just overdubbed? Because that, that, I mean, that's, that's allegedly what, what it, it is, right? It does, feel, it does sound very princey, doesn't it? It does. It, does, it yeah. does. It's a bit sloppy, a bit kind of sloppy funk in places. And then at the same time, it's got that tight rhythm guitar. It's just 
man, this is the work of one man? Mm, I actually thought that today. I thought, is Prince playing the drums on this? Like, or is it Sheila? I don't know. It, it's definitely it not Bobby Z. Sound... Can't be Bobby Z. No, no, it, I don't think so. It doesn't sound like Sheila. Like to your earlier point, Toe Jam, about the cymbal work, it's like the way she hits stuff is just like, you're right. It's more, oh, it has like a sharper edge to it, like a, and a, a precise edge, whereas his is like a little bit, I don't know how to describe it, but man, if this is a one-man band, band performance, and let's assume for the time being that it is, it's just a mind-blowing thing. Well, at the time of recording, Sheila has, I don't think she's made any comment about this release at all. So uh, unless we get to talk to her and she could say, oh yeah, my band, we were all there that day, I'll just assume that it was Prince. Actually, Captain, again, you've just said something that has got me thinking about something completely different from what we were going to talk about. On Sheila's albums, her first two, I know she's got more, but I'm saying her first two, Glamorous Life and uh, Romance 1600, I'm pretty sure it's the case that Prince is not credited anywhere. Am I right in saying that? Well, it's produced by the Star Company, aren't they? Yeah, but I'm just thinking liner notes-wise and and credits-wise, I don't think Prince is actually credited on her first two albums at all. I think maybe on A Love Bazaar, it's it's supposed to be a duet. A Love Bazaar, yeah. Yeah. Because it's a duet, yeah. So what I'm getting at, without blubbing on all day about this one point uh, that I'm about to make, but actually I should clarify this with you guys before I make the point, otherwise it's going to sound really weird on Well, on, on 1600 it says all tracks written by Prince, but they're credited to Sheila E. Okay, that's what I'm getting at. This is what I'm getting at. So on Romance 1600, the album, when it came out, and to this day, if someone you know pulls out the vinyl, the CD or whatever, and is listening to it at home, and they don't know the history of Prince's involvement in Sheila's music or in any other artist-related artist's music, there's a possibility that there's a group of people out there, potentially a large number of people out there, that don't know that, in fact, Prince was a songwriter behind a lot of these songs and pretty much all of his music. So to your point about not hearing Sheila and not hearing much from her about this release... I don't think what I'm about to say is the case, but I'm just putting that out there. Is there a chance that she's thinking to herself, you know, some of my biggest hits, most well-known songs, funkiest songs, it's now been, you know, officially revealed to the world with all this crazy promotion, you know, bloody billboard in Times Square, et cetera. And it kind of takes away a little bit from her legacy to some degree. I'm just saying, I'm not saying that's definitely happening. I'm just, it's an interesting thought exercise, right? Like if you were in her shoes and all of a sudden it's like, oh, but that was really Prince. It kind of does change the story, doesn't it? Now I know for us it doesn't. I don't know. I I don't don't see Sheila E out. I haven't seen Sheila E out there for the last 30 years saying, oh yeah, yeah, those are all my songs and they're, you know, I played everything. Like I think it's, (laughs) it's, even though it's not on the sleeve, like it's pretty well known that these are, Prince songs. Well, it is to us. And productions. It is to us. Yeah, but the bigger question is, what non-Prince fan is listening to Sheila E's first two albums? (laughs) Oh, jeez, I shouldn't have started. I knew I shouldn't have started this. No, seriously. (laughs) This is the most obscure album. You know, Joe Blow in the street is not going (laughs) to go back and find this album out of the millions of albums that they could listen to. They're not going to go back and Uh, find this random album and go... Oh, credit. Sheila E wrote everything. Wow, that's interesting. No, that's not happening. (laughs) Anyone who listens to this album knows Prince had a big hand in the recording and these two albums. I would agree with you in that the majority of people, but I remember being at a record fair not too long ago and someone pulled out Romance 1600, sealed copy, by the way, which is kind of cool, and they didn't know it was a Prince project. And you went, yoink. 
Thank you. <laughs> Five bucks. Oh yeah. No, no, no. They bought. I believe they bought. I believe they bought the album. But Sheila's also. You have to remember Sheila. Like we live in the purple universe, the four of us mm. and a lot of hardcore Prince fans. And Sheila is actually, you know, Prince career notwithstanding, even before Prince, she was very well known as a percussionist, as a session musician. But then she became more popular in the pop world because of a few really big hits, you know, Glamorous Life, um, Holly Rock from the Crush Groove. And so even in the hip hop community, like I'm sure there would have been people in the mid 80s, maybe Player can speak to this and his knowledge of the scene at the time and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, in that film, she holds her own. Like, she's Sheila E. She's not Prince Protégé. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Sheila E. is probably one of the rare examples of a Prince Protégé, if you want to call it that, who actually isn't a Prince Protégé. And this is the thing. Like, this show is not the Sheila E. Yeah, podcast. Yeah. But she came into Prince World already being someone, and she left Correct. being even bigger. Correct. As, as she, she wasn't exactly. a nobody like a lot of the others were. Yeah. Like, had it not happened, it's always hard to predict what someone's life and career would turn out, obviously. She would have been fine. She was fine. <laughs> like, she was fine already. So, yeah, it's just an interesting point to make. But anyway, that's a massive tangent as we uh, known it's to It's only a 12-hour podcast. We got time. Captain wants to finish this off. So, um, Holly Rock, uh, this is a typically colourful, vibrant piece of purple funk from the mid-'80s. There's no doubt about it. There is too much going on in this song to actually get it down on paper or take notes. Although in saying that, based on Captain's previous comments about how much he's got to say about this, maybe he's the one who's actually done that. Because <laughs> I was listening to this and enjoying it so much that my pen and pencil, or whatever I was holding at the time, like I, every time I started writing something, you just I, by the it. time I, <laughs> well, it was it was actually slightly different. I was like in the middle of writing something, and then something else really cool would happen, and then. I couldn't <laughs> finish my thought and then and then I started that and I was like, oh, I started writing another line about some other element and I, I could never actually get to finish one line or one <laughs> sentence without something super cool or super amazing happening right afterwards. So I was like, screw this. I'm just going to put my <laughs> pen down and just listen. And I listened a few times and it's so dense. Like this production is super clear, but the I should say the arrangement is dense. Like... This is one of those great examples of a kaleidoscopic Prince production. It's just all over the place. The sounds are coming in from left, right, and center, seemingly out of anywhere, mm. including some chipmunk effect sounding guitar plucks at some point. Uh, it's really, really, <laughs> just really weird. Sheila's percussion, I love that it's in here. I love the chants that you guys mentioned. And there's this hidden, super nasty, biting guitar solo that starts about the three minute mark and it goes up until about the five and a half minute mark. And if you listen really closely, it's there on speakers, but if you wrap a good pair of headphones on your ears and hold it down tight onto your head, <laughs> if you listen super close, you will hear Prince, as I did, going freaking off on his guitar. He is shredding like a monster. And I never heard that in Sheila's Holly Rock version because it's buried so deep into the mix. I'm actually going to say this is one of Prince's greatest 80s guitar solos. And I only heard it like a few weeks ago. 
It's mind-bending, and he doesn't stop. He just keeps playing it and playing it and playing it, and I'm thinking, surely that wasn't done in one take. Like, that had to be overdubbed, that guitar part. I'm assuming Captain's going to say something about that, so I'll lay off, the, mm-hmm. lay off that bit for now, but this song absolutely explodes towards the end. The now try to dance to this remark is hilarious. But I'll finish off on this. Like, for me, after all the music's said and done, I think about the title, and I never gave it too much thought. And I was like, is it supposed to be holy or is it holy? Is it the name of a girl or whatever? And I finally came to the conclusion that like, oh, I get it now. What is Holy Rock? It's like a reference to Hollywood. Get it? Hollywood. But it's not Hollywood. It's Holly Rock, baby. Yeah. Anyway, that's my story and I'm <laughs> sticking with it. You guys probably already all knew that. No, I've, I just thought that was, I thought that was assumed. It was like, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> The Flintstones. Yeah. The Flintstones. That's what they called Hollywood in the Flintstones. Holly Rock. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. Well, the chipmunk effect, the uh, guitar effect makes more sense now. But <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay, so I didn't watch the Flintstones, so there you go. Uh, what? Um, what? What? No, I know Wilma. I know all that stuff. You I'm didn't just saying, watch I didn't the Flintstones? Really watch it, like, religiously. I, I've seen a few episodes, you know. I mean, if, if you said you watched the first few seasons and you, you sort of dropped out when Gazoo came in, <laughs> then I understand. But, oh, my God. <laughs> really? Oh, that's kind, of, that's kind of embarrassing. Now, the reason I didn't put the Hollywood with the Holly Rock connection was because it's two separate words. And that, that kind of, you know, I didn't, I didn't quite make the connection. Anyway, so just to conclude my thoughts on this, so that's all the musical stuff and all the weird Holly Rock references. But this to me is almost identical musically to Sheila's version. It's just it's mixed a lot better. It's a lot louder. It's a lot cleaner. You can hear a lot more. It's more impactful. But in reality, I have to say, production values aside and Prince's vocals aside, I could actually take either one because the Holly Rock version that's in Crush Groove and that you can you know stream the video on YouTube and stuff, that version is pretty much as spectacular as this. So for me, if you compare Prince's original version with the one that Sheila released, they're both absolutely banging songs. Like I could take either one. And uh, I will say this before we go to Captain, I actually prefer her attitude. I don't know what it is, but when Sheila sings this song, it's got a bit of sass, like it's just a bit of Sheila's sass on it. And Prince doesn't have that. He's like, he's like a bit of more of like a goofball. That's like, it's just a bit like, I'm not saying his vocals are bad. Well, I'm just making the point that she kind of, she makes it more believable to me. Like I want, I would rather hear Sheila jam out on this and she did in live performances rather than him. So uh, controversy, send your hate mail here. Uh, Captain. Okay, my go. Uh, I'm calling it This Is The Best Track on the album, <laughs> The End. Gee, wow. <laughs> now, there's been some meddling on this track so as well, but it's just so funky Ooh. that... Some what? Whoa, 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 you can't throw that out there. What are you talking about? What are you talking about, Willis? There's been some meddling on this track, but it's just so funky that I'm just, I can just ignore it because this track is just <laughs> that good. It is as funky as anything. Ah, oh, geez, where do you even start? I love the rap. Everyone knows. I've always loved him doing rap, whether it's awful or great, but I think it's all great, so there's no bad rap. I'm sure some people will disagree, but to me, this, like, this song, in a way, to me, is like Jughead, as in it's got Prince doing a rap, 
which is not great. Well, I think it's great, but objectively, maybe not. <laughs> over the funkiest backing music you've ever heard, just like Jughead. The music in Jughead is insane if you get past Tony M, if you can tune that out. But, you know. Well, just further to that point, I could just imagine Sheila going to Prince and saying, hey, I just landed this role in this movie. It's a hip-hop movie. It's called Crush Groove. And then he gives her this... You know, she has to take it to, you know, in that movie, you got Run DMC, you've got Beastie Boys, you've got Fat Boys, you've got LL. <laughs> All the boys. You've got Curtis Blow, you've got um, Russell Simmons, you've got Rick Rubin, like everybody's in that movie. If it was a whack track, they would have said to Sheila, yeah, you're not using that in this movie. So, <laughs> you know. He had to bring it. They must have like thought something of it because they used it in the movie. So, and you know, that's kind of part of the storyline. Like she was... There was like kind of like a it's like a rap battle thing in the movie. Mm. So so they you know they must have thought something of it. So you know even those guys in the hip hop community sort of you know they didn't say no Sheila we're not using this track or whatever. Mm. So it does have some merit to it. But just going back to what MC said before about he said so he I just heard the words Prince production and I just thought no. This is a Frankenstein production, but we'll get to that later. You, you think. <laughs> oh, you know no, I don't. It's a Michael Howe production. I highly you suspect, think. and as do many other people. Highly suspect. Okay. <laughs> okay. The verse, he kicks off at 112. Jesus, it's one of the funkiest things he's ever recorded. Like the flow of his rap, the beat, he got that funky little guitar just going off and the, the Minneapolis synths and the percussion. 112, it just, from there... It just takes off. You can just listen to this and, you know, it's arranged by Prince. Of course it bloody is. I mean, just listen to all that stuff that he's got going on. But, like, Toe Jam was talking about the differences between Sheila's version and Prince's version. And, like, some things you can hear in this version a lot better. Uh, and MC's talking about, oh, it's really dense and there's all this stuff. It's because it sounds like they've just got the master tapes out and just pushed everything up. <laughs> It's not mixed at all. It's just all up. You can hear every single I possible will, thing that he did, I, whether it's meant to be heard or not. I'll agree with you on that part. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Every, the faders are definitely up on this one. Everything's up. Like, you can hear every take that he did. It's all there, which is good and bad, uh, you know, because you hear things that you wouldn't have heard. You know, you can barely hear in Sheila's version, but you can hear them better here. But that's that. There is a muffled ha-ha at 140. <laughs> doing his, his Morris Day thing. And it really seems like they've tried to mask that. I don't know why. It's there. Has and Morris it sounds Day like they've done it. <laughs> maybe. Because maybe they're like, this is a Sheila E track, not a time track. We can't have him doing Morris Day's thing. And it really sounds like they've tried to <laughs> cut that out. It's at 140. You can hear it, though. Strange, strange. Now, this is actually the extended version of Sheila's track. Yes. But all that means yes, is yeah. the extended version is usually just Prince's full unedited version and then the album version or singles are later edited down from this. And um, this song should be longer. That's what I'll say. Okay, you've got the funky as anything, double speed guitar in the right. Now, he just loved doing that around this time. Like there's a handful of other yeah. songs that you, straight away you're like, yep, that's that's what he did on that song and that song and that song. That's Love or Money. Yep. yep. Love or Money, Around that like double speed. Ah, yeah. oh, it's so good. Yep. I Love Bazaar is um, another one. And yep. Yeah, there's a bunch. And it's it's a Prince thing because, you know, who else was doing that? Who does that? I'm sure someone does, <laughs> yep. but Prince does. <laughs> um, but just like in um, 100 Miles an Hour, there's a million little guitar things and I can't reference them all, but um, here's just a few. <laughs> 
I mean, it's already as funky as anything. But 2.13, he gets the wah-wah as well. And he just gets on that, that, that crazy double speed guitar in the right. He chucks the wah-wah on it for just a little bit. And it just, it, it sounds even better. It's so good. And like, uh, I think MC said, you get this distorted guitar solo. It comes in about 3.05 and then it just comes and goes for like the, almost the whole rest of the track. And he just goes off and it's great. This song is just a jam. It's an insane, funky as hell jam. If you don't enjoy this, you can't be a Prince fan. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> this is what he did. He just jammed his ass off and just blew everyone else away. If you don't enjoy, I mean, you can listen to this and go, oh, I don't like the mix. It's a 2019 mix. But you cannot listen to everything he did in this track, like instruments that he played and vocals that he did. You cannot listen to this and go, oh, nah, that's, that's not happening. If, 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 it, if it is, there's something wrong with your head. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> You've got these funky Minneapolis synths just everywhere making this super funky. It's crazy that he gave this away. Like, this could have been, like, play, you just said, Love or Money. This could have been a B-side, like Love or Money. Just this super funky track. It didn't get on an album, but it's, as usual, some of the B-sides were better than the album tracks. This easy, oh, he should have kept it. That's what I'll say. I'm going to stop talking now because oh, I just have to. Because I don't want a 12-hour podcast. The end. <laughs> oh, geez. Wow. Okay. Well, if you uh, feel like having a cigarette or a cold shower, <laughs> go ahead and do that now because <laughs> we spent quite a bit of time on that one. So uh, we're going to go and have a rest now and come back together a little later to keep this trainer rolling. I need a rest after that Holy Rock review. God. <laughs> <laughs> and we've also got some news that we'd like to announce in our brand new member-based extension show. This show will start off by being dedicated to discussing Prince's legacy as a live performer. And we're planning for the first episode to come out in the second half of 2019, hopefully sooner rather than later. We're super excited about it. And this new subscription member-based show is extra peach and black content. But don't worry about the normal show. It's going to continue as per normal until one of us meets Yoko Ono and the band breaks up. But, uh, <laughs> but if you just can't get enough peach and black and you want to hear even more, more details will come out when they're available. Stay tuned on Facebook, Twitter, and everywhere where you get your peach and black news. Subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't already. There might be some goodies or clues coming up. And yeah, there's a lot of lot of cool episodes that we're planning to release. If you're keen, check it out. And Player has something to say right now. So that was part one of Prince's Originals review. Be sure to tune in next time for part two, where we review everything from Baby You're a Trip onwards, plus your survey results. We're going to announce it right here on this show in part two. And if anyone's wondering why we haven't done the survey results on each track as we go, it's because we wanted to keep the survey open as long as possible so you guys can vote. We get as many votes as we can. We wanted everybody's involvement. So we've left it right to the end so that everyone's counted. Which meant waiting for the physical release and then giving Correct. it a bit more time. So that's why. It's not like the way we used to do it, which was in the track by track. We left it till the end so everyone can vote, everyone can have their say, and we get the best, most accurate result. Most accurate and to ensure all our lovely Peach and Black listeners are involved. So thank you. I want to say a big thank you to all those that have participated. The results are really interesting, but you need to check out the next episode to hear these results. So you stay tuned. Next episode coming soon. Be there. Get ready. Yeah. 
You've been listening to another classic Peach and Black podcast. Catch all our episodes at podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Mixcloud, and all good podcast directories. Search for Peach and Black Podcast. You can continue the Peach and Black experience online. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The Peach and Black Podcast is written and produced by Rob S., Player, Toejam, and Captain. Original theme music by Toejam. Audio production and additional audio editing by Captain at Funky Temple Studios. Episode artwork by Reverend. Share our podcast with your friends and Prince fans. If you love our show, please write a review on Apple Podcasts. You can contact the Peach and Black Podcast by email at peachandblackpodcastofficial at gmail.com.